Hey listeners, this week we're taking a little break from the Wolverine anime to talk about a motion comic that was created for a comic series by Joss Whedon with art by John Cassidy called Astonishing X-Men Gifted. The motion comic is only about that first compilation that's titled Gifted. There are other motion comics about some of the subsequent series, but we only talk about the first season. Perhaps more importantly, we have on Connor Goldsmith as a guest, who our listeners probably know from a podcast called Cerebro. He's also a literary agent and also somebody with a lot of mutual friends of ours. Uh, So this is a pretty freewheeling episode. Ordinarily, we do kind of plot beats as we do critical analysis. In this case, we keep a pretty big picture. We don't get into the entire plot of the comic, but the comic is pretty linear and not that complex. So you probably don't need much more prep other than that we do talk about Joss Whedon's career up to writing the comic, which began in 2004, which means we do full spoilers for Buffy and Angel and maybe just a touch of Dollhouse here. Enjoy. Back when we were young, we experienced a change. We felt a power grow in us, both wonderful and strange. The power to care about the X-Men and the mutant brotherhood. All of their adventures, more than anyone should. From the comic book pages to the animated Thank you for coming, by the way. I really, really appreciate this. Yeah, Connor, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for being so persistent because I have like terrible <laughs> ADHD. And what, no, a, I, what a cute way of putting that. No, <laughs> Thank I mean you for it genuinely. me until I came on. <laughs> I truly do mean it. I have, I, I just have really bad ADHD, and this is my second yeah. full time so, job, so did basically. The two of us. And I also get stressed about guesting on other shows, not because I don't, I love being invited, but I'm always just like, oh, I'm not in control of that situation. <laughs> We're actually doing it. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just like, oh, I'll get back to them. Do you want to take control of it? No, I Do don't. Do you want to maybe just host the show? Or? I really, not with Joss Whedon's X-Men. I super don't want to. Um, but you, this is a safe space to hate Joss Whedon. Yeah, 100%. I guess we should say that preliminarily. I mean, I was hating Joss Whedon before it was cool. So we're going to yeah. get mm. into that because I'm definitely a big proponent of. When did you? Uh, okay. So, first of all, first of all, whatever. I'm keeping all this in. This is I'm, good on air. St- are, we, are we keeping this all in? Oh, okay. That's fine. Sure. Whatever we want. I don't I, care. I keep in you can whatever's keep it interesting. In. I edit yeah, the no, show. I keep in what I think is good or bad, whatever. With the bad stuff I cut See, out. See, this is a great example of a moment where I would edit. <laughs> Oh, she'll edit But this, this is a great example oh. of 
Oh, because no, like I, I just started mean, talking and then you, yeah. Correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I, because <laughs> I have the audio synced, well, no, because I'm Jewish, mm-hmm. I'm Irish Catholic. I have like collaborative overlap problems where I- Wow, what a chaos mode genetic I know, I, mix I, Potato pancake is what I like to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Connor Goldsmith, it's like a very, it's very like dead dove, do not eat. It's exactly what it <laughs> yep. says on the tin. But, but so I have a tendency to get excited and then sort of start talking before the other person has finished their oh, sentence. Oh, we do that here. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so, so this is going to be hard to edit, is what you're saying. No, that's. I mean, listen, for, I'm not editing it, so I don't give a shit. You can do whatever you want. Oh, I'm I know. Just saying, I know. I'm just saying, if you're your listeners, I promise that if you listen to my show, I shut up when other people are talking. <laughs> and if I didn't, because sometimes I got excited, I will do my best to separate out those moments so that there's less crosstalk. Me too, buddy. Yeah. Me too. That is what I try to do on this show. The first like 15 episodes of my show, there is a lot of crosstalk. And then I got a bunch of emails like, you keep speaking over your guests. And I'm like, no, I don't. This is how we talk. I'm from New York. <laughs> it's productive. I'm just Italian with ADHD. Yeah, Ryan's Italian. <laughs> yeah, collaborative overlap. I was just saying about this with my friend Jordan Block, who was on the show. Collaborative overlap. I, I, there was an article about collaborative overlap yeah. that I read and I I was like, that's what 100%. I do. It's not interrupting yeah. if I'm like, yes, and I was saying this my friend Jordan Block, who's been in the show a couple of times because Jordan is black and was like, yeah, like pretty much every culture that isn't waspy has collaborative overlap. So it's yes, kind of like, correct. who cares? I just have a very ADHD family. So everyone interrupts each other. If you understand that they're friends talking and having a fun yeah. conversation. I mean, that's like, a, that's what we do. Yeah, yeah. no, same. I mean, my dad's autistic. Yeah. Like, there's you know, <laughs> if you want to sit at my family so dinner, there's a lot of throw that in there. Yeah, like, whatever. If somebody's excited, you gotta let them finish. Exactly. We just we're, we get excited and we just start talking 100%. and we talk until we're done. And sometimes we just keep talking. So you know, and and that's a podcast, folks. That's a podcast. Um. So anyway, I'm Maddie. Ryan and Connor are here. <laughs> if you want, it's fine. If you want it's to do a, cl- a better opening, I'm mean, not a better, but if you want to do a cleaner opening, try. do I'm it. Trying. Let's shut up. <laughs> I love you both, but listen, Connor Goldsmith, host of Cerebrocast. So, of course, people know Connor from Cerebrocast. I know our listeners know Connor and have repeatedly requested this crossover. I, I do. So I do. I'm happening. sorry. I'm now interrupting. This is an actual interruption. Um, <laughs> the. So this happens all the time and it's my own fault because Cerebro was taken on social medias. So like all of my website and social media and stuff is uh, Cerebrocast, but it's actually just Cerebro. It's the Cerebro. It's like Pixies. It's not the Pixies. You know what I mean? But like if someone says the Pixies, I don't think that like Pixies freak out about it, but it's just one of those things where I'm like, it's just Cerebro. But you know what? Cerebrocast is better SEO. So maybe I should just embrace it. I think you should. I mean, I, I feel like we have kind of a similar vibe where like the name of our show is The Mutant Ages, but we also have mutantages.com because some people will not put the the in. We also have sciencescene.net. We do have sciencescene.net, <laughs> which actually we got because we were doing a similar special episode to this one. We got sciencescene.net after we read all the X-Men Evolution tie-in comic books. And that is one of the websites that Mr. Sinister has. So now it redirects to our website. Um, but <laughs> tragically, tragically, uh, Dr. Rao doesn't have any websites. Yeah. <laughs> we would have bought them if she had them, but she does not have any websites. I think Dr. Rao is sort of generally tragic. Agreed. Yeah. Especially really when tragic. she's played by a white woman in her motion Yeah. Comic. Did you know that? Connor? I was going to say, I'm glad you also Googled that. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. I was real curious. For our listeners. So we're here to, we're here to talk about, we're here to talk about the, uh, the, 
the Joss Whedon Astonishing X-Men motion comic. Because we love Joss Whedon is, here. No, boo, boo. <laughs> I have a complicated Joss Whedon history that I'd do. love to get into. Yes, I want to hear yeah, no, but we I, like, all do, but please get Let's each tell it, our Joss Whedon complicated history. No, 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 no. Our listeners already know ours. Connor, it's your turn. I do. I mean, they they know mine if they've heard my Kitty Pride episode, because at one point I just kind of fugued and like ranted for about <laughs> 10 minutes and I just left it in. But... Yeah. The big thing is, uh, oh, actually, just to finish the Kavita Rao thing, for the people who are listening, it's a motion comic, which means that it's voiced. And I actually do a lot of this on my uh, Patreon. I'm doing like a Claremont read through. Oh, that's sweet. I love doing voice acting and reading this stuff aloud. And it's really fun. But I have a rule. I do a lot of like silly accents on my podcast. I have a very specific rule, which is that I do white people accents specifically. Of course. We have the same rule. (laughs) Apologies to the Scottish community, but I don't think it's offensive if I like, you know what I mean? And would guess also the Russian community. I mean, you gotta be voicing Piotr. Anytime Colossus. You know, like I've i and I practice and Okay, I, wait, no, what I'm hearing right now is we need to get Connor on our next comic book read through special. Like we did like a bunch of the Christmas specials, so we need to get Connor here to join us with yeah, our over the top Eunice the Untouchable it's high Italian Love <laughs> Unis, Super Untouchable. Mario level. Yeah, that's He's untouchable. Yeah. The thing about Unis though is he He's can't, untouchable. He can't have that thick an accent because he changed his name to Gunther Bain, right? And was like posing as a German because of anti Italian racism in the sixties. So I think he can code switch. Okay, but I like the idea that that he was like like still, he still had like a full Mario ass accent, and he was like, "I'm from Germany," but also like saying German words. <laughs> yeah. Good <to> talk. <laughs> That's how he says it. Um, Connor, I want to hear your story about Joss Whedon, please. Sure. Yeah, sorry. So, so I like <laughs> Buffy was my favorite show like many people but then i saw angel and angel to this day is my favorite show like wrinkles and yeah all. we love angel here you're too. in good company on both counts cordelia chase man love i love her. her is the best character in the history of television so there's right 100 charisma <laughs> carpenter was done wrong and we're not okay with it my first like taste of being a known person on the internet was that i was like kind of an angel bnf on live journal live journal yeah. oh my god we're all the same age <laughs> i get it i get it I'm, I'm laughing as i say bnf because if you're old and you know, you know, because I was not actually like, I wasn't Cassandra Clare. You get what I'm saying? But um, I wrote Mm -hmm. essays. Like I wrote, because what I was doing at the time, I was at Oberlin. um, Oh my God. Which like paused for laughter. Um, (laughs) And I taught an experimental college. They called it Exco, like student taught courses in the media studies department on Buffy, specifically through like a feminist lens, a post-colonial lens. We like would bring in lots of theory and also just talk about the character development. It was a lot like what I do on Cerebro, actually. Um, And that's actually how I met Maddie's friend, Gita Jackson, who I've been friends with for a bazillion years. I was going to say, do you know Gita? Like that was going through my head. Fellow Oberlin (laughs) alum. I've been friends with Gita for like 15 years and I'm also Gita's literary agent. This is so crazy to me because like I knew Gita before all of you guys and like now to see that y'all crossing over. Yeah, it's so funny that you would refer to Gita as Maddie's friend because Gita was actually Ryan's friend before anyone else. I don't know Ryan, so this isn't my business. But it's okay, you know Ryan. who the fuck is Ryan? I'm Who is that guy? guy? No, I I only know I only know Maddie because Maddie Gita was in the no Gita was in the video game journalism world for so long and oh, Maddie yeah. also know, was kind of in that of space. Me. So that's how I know Blame who Maddie me is. For that. It is your fault, and I'm. It is my fault. We're gonna sell fault. a book at some point, so it'll be worth it. But in it's the also end. kind of Oberlin's fault for like making people like you guys. Like Oberlin right, did no, this for to sure. all of us. <laughs> Oberlin did this 
Oberlin did so many things to me that I'm not going to get into on this podcast because this is not an Oberlin podcast. <laughs> no. I, but so anyway, I taught this course and I was a huge fan of the shows, but I always was a little leery of Mr. Whedon himself because of what happened mm-hmm, to Charisma mm-hmm, Carpenter because mm-hmm. I was on that yeah, tip from like the moment it happened. Flag. Okay, also like yes. some of the shitty rights, like even in Buffy was like kind of questionable at the time. Yeah, uh, well, the last two seasons of Buffy are simply bad. So 100%. there's that. I mean, there's a couple great episodes but you know and then uh, and i also unpopular opinion think that the fifth season of angel is pretty bad uh which most people are like that's the best season like you think that because it's the most like buffy but it's a pod person show that doesn't feel like the characters are all it's like josh the same way was like oh buffy's canceled i have to go write this spinoff now because david Mm -hmm. greenwald left i don't really know any of these characters anymore what if he could make the ultimate pod person show dollhouse and then that was when like you know what's funny oh my god i like i can't (laughs) deal with dollhouse so at the time at the time and like this is glib and uh, you know i wouldn't say this now but i was like what 20 i called it joss whedon's rape house because that (laughs) was just sort of the vibe of it to me you know what that is that glib because that's I the mean, show. But, but that's I will say, show. I thought... It's just facts. Fact of the matter, that's the show. I actually think that first season is really good. I love it. I just it. find the whole premise so offensive. Yeah, that's how I feel about it, too. It's like, let's turn people into sex robots. But I wouldn't find the premise offensive if it wasn't him. Because by that point, so the, the moment I really... Well, or if it was done well. The moment I really yeah. turned on him was actually when he was writing Runaways. Um, oh, I forgot that he fucking did that. He created this character. He followed Brian K. Vaughn, who's like the Runaways writer, right. right? I mean, other people have written it since, but he was like the creator. Yep, yep, yep. And then he takes over and he introduces a new team member who's this character, Clara Prass, yes. who's a 12-year-old sex slave yep. from the Victorian era yep. who they time travel rescue. Of course he does. Um, of course he does. Well, it was, and this was after Serenity, which I thought was complete trash. And I yeah. like, enjoyed Firefly, <laughs> but I thought Serenity was god-awful. And yeah. so there's this specific character archetype that was really popular at that moment in pop culture. And I point to three of them that I think came up at the same time. Yes. It's River yes. Tam, Cassandra Kane, Laura Kinney. They're like... Like, yep. They were raised in a lab. Like tiny murder waif. Yeah. They're like really skinny. They were raised in a lab. They're yep. young. Murder but they're, and they're crazy, but they're sexy and they kill. And I just found like, I'm not. That's this like gross. But also know, they're like... sexy against their will. Like other people made Laura Kinney into a sex slave. Yes. She's forced. The sexiness is forced upon her. Yes. They're sexy because they're forced to be sexy. Yes, other exactly. people put Cassandra Kane in this bondage battle girl outfit like it's always against their will other people dress river tam in this little sexy nighty as she decapitates people right i found all three of those characters really off-putting at the time i was drawing that yes, parallel yes. too at the time that serenity came out i was like x23 yeah. what's happening here river tam and laura kinney i mean i love laura kinney but i'm not gonna deny that there's some fucked up shit in those in those backstories. Well, I mean, they've changed they've changed Laura since then. Yeah, I was well, and Cassandra too. I think both of those characters have evolved a lot, they and have. I like them now. River Tam is stuck in stasis, and thank God, keep her in a box. <laughs> well, she's stuck. Yeah, you, she hasn't come back. Thank right? God. They literally opened her up. So she was like in a box. So I was like, Jesus. Well, also to go back to the Kavita Rao of it all, she is a Chinese character played by a white girl to begin yeah. with. So yes. there's like a lot of weird. I know stuff going on with Firefly. Um, But anyway, uh, (laughs) so 
the runaways thing really was when I was like, okay, your obsession with specifically breaking underage girls or adolescent girls or, you know, late teens, women through sexualized trauma. And that's what makes them powerful. Wayfish ones always. Yes. I I just was starting to find it really prurient and strange. And then when it was like, she's literally 12. And I was like, this is a kid's comic. Like Runaways was a YA market. And obviously, like, there are real 12-year-olds who are being sexually abused, but it didn't feel like... I'm just like, why are you writing this I was going to say, is is that the story they're telling? Because it's not, (laughs) you know? (laughs) That's not how it is in the comic, no. It's going to be more lurid. It's going to be presented as lurid as opposed to an actual thoughtful, emotional exploration. And here's here's why. I'm just going to interrupt everybody here for a second, just talk about how the fact that how... The straight guys that are really into Laura Kinney get so mad at when she's Wolverine and not like the sexy like experiment. I know. And they like Yeah, because they, want, they want her, her to be called X twenty three. Here's well, the problem there, and this is I mean, I have a whole like four hour episode on Laura Kinney that you can do, which is kind of fun because it's about like her winning me over as I read more of her comics because I I first mm-hmm. I didn't watch Evolution. I was a little too old. So my first real experience i mean i watched like i think part of the first season but she's not in that. yeah she's only in a couple episodes she doesn't show up till way late my first real experience with her is nyx where she's like sex the self-harming yeah. teenage prostitute who's been sex trafficked yeah and she's like forced into all this lingerie and all this stuff yeah and i was just like i i really i found that comic odious i still don't understand how she got there in the comic books like why was that the starting point uh the editor-in-chief wrote it the editor-in-chief at the yeah. time wrote the comic <laughs> That's how she got there because no one had to approve it. Men put her there, Ryan, fictionally and in why, real why life. Why straight men allowed to do anything is my question. I, I mean, you know, and listen, I mean, that's a great think, question, and we're definitely going to delve into it with Joss on the show today. Yeah. I mean, why is why was he allowed to do so this? So I was turning I on him by that point, like pretty hard. I'm trying to think of the order he was writing x-men first the thing is just like i so, and that was part of it was i also from the jump like i often say on my show that gifted is the only good arc of whedon's x-men and this is like a hot take before it became trendy and i'm not this is not to be like a hipster about hating joss whedon but before he was canceled for being a misogynist terror on set well that was kind of late I, like, but, but even yeah. Yeah, but right up until that moment people and people still do insist this insist that the astonishing x-men run by whedon is like the best x-men run of all i don't time. know and why I, really why why well those people aren't us and i do think and we're gonna get into it there's some parts of these this comic run that i think are quite interesting the way that all the female characters are written maybe <laughs> not but <laughs> there's some good ideas in here. There's some good ideas. But so the 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 real thing for me is like I often say on my show, there's one good arc and it's the first one, Gifted. Mm-hmm. But then going back over this, I was like, man, Order of the Break World comes in so fast that this actually isn't good even. Like yeah. even this one is bad. And yeah, it's really, they do so little to explain who he is. It's kind of weird. I I enjoyed reading his Marvel wiki. And the kitty, the kitty stuff starts here in terms of like everything I hate about how Joss Whedon writes Kitty, which then haunted her for like 15 years of publication until literally 2019. So, I mean, so here's a little more backstory, a little like in the 
80s, I was born, but I was reading 80s comics, but my dad's a collector. And then in the 90s, I was like subscribing to Excalibur. That was my favorite yep. comic. Yeah. So I had seen Kitty Pride grow up. I had seen her become like a six black belts agent of right. shield. Yes. I had seen her grow into a really impressive superheroine who keeps stressing from the moment this arc begins that she's not a fighter and she's not like these other people. I wrote that down when I was watching this and I was like, why do they keep saying that? Did, has Joss Whedon read an X-Men comic book? Like, has he seen what Kitty Pride does? I don't think he's read them since he was reading them as a teenager. A child or whatever? Yeah, probably. There's a throwaway line from Logan where he says he can't take Kitty because she'd pull some ninja shit on him. And that's the only reference to it is Logan respecting Kitty in that one time moment in the entire rest of the comic they're but like it's still it's crazy weird how moment. kitty pride is all defensive and like all of her powers are purely defensive and she has like no other skills she has no people skills she doesn't know yeah how to talk but she's not the only <laughs> problem just wrote in there like i would say oh, that the we, way he writes emma frost Queen is emma, like insane where he's like like he's like well she's strong and evil so she's, she's gonna so be evil. sexy but she can't be a strong woman without being sexy and evil and i was like well I mean, like, <laughs> the thing that's extra annoying is that this is also just like, so if you were an angel watcher, literally like a minute before this comic yep. starts, he had done this exact thing with Fred and Lila on Angel. Oh, yeah. No, I totally remember that. I had found it unbelievably annoying on that show, mm-hmm. too. I find Whedon's version of Fred to be like just dreadful <laughs> 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 because she is his type and is just a total sex object to him and so like the best fred episodes are actually in season four which is the messy season where they do shit to charisma and cordelia but the great stuff with fred is like fred grew like fred spent years in like surviving in a demon realm she will fucking kill people she is that person on the team like she and gun break up because she wants to kill someone who violated her and Gunn is like, we can't kill people. Like, that's <laughs> the thing, right? So, I, when, but then Whedon gets her and suddenly she's this very, like, cutesy, I know every kind of science, not just physics character, mm-hmm. and it's just boring to me. And that's sort of what he does here with Kitty, too. Yeah. He rolls her back to the techie 14-year-old yes. that he fell in love with when he was a kid reading the comic, but that's not who the character was by this point. Which is unfortunate because like, she could have that. She could be the techie nerdy person and also still be the badass. Well, she could do both. Yeah. Right. But like for him, it's like he's like, it's either one or the other. Being a full human, not an option. Well, he's always like that, though. Think about how like Willow kind of just stops hacking for the most part yeah. when she's a witch. Well, like, because she only has one trait, and once she becomes a witch that's the that trait. women only have <laughs> women do a thing yep. right. right that's what i'm saying like that's kind of so and then similarly like lila morgan is i think one of the best characters on angel uh and notably was almost never written by him mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. season four and she's still really well written in season four and stephanie romanov plays the shit out of it yeah. but there's a lot of scenes where Whedon just humiliates Lila for being a disgusting whore who's not Fred. And I find it like really 
bizarre. He does that yeah. in a lot of different things that he writes. He does. Like he, he does. did that with like freaking Firefly. Well, but that's he has a Madonna whore complex that's just rampant. He definitely hates women because he's attracted to them, which is classic. Remember freaking Black Widow? Do you want to talk about Black Widow? Oh my everybody? god, we can't get into it. <laughs> Have you ever read about his mother? No. No. Why? Not to get Freudian. Oh my no, god. I want to know now. I think it's interesting. <laughs> she's like a she's like a prominent feminist <gasps> activist type. Was she like a, a sex negative feminist? No. His mom, I want to say, is like early third wave, like 80s stuff. Okay, sure, sure. So then what the... What? So like she and she's not famous, but um, well, I what I'm saying is I think we often rebel against our parents a little bit, yes, right? Yes, right. so, true. I mean, like Buffy was on some level, it was like Buffy and the Spice Girls were when like the, the discourse of like what is third wave feminism became really heated, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And then after Buffy, we're in the space that a lot of theorists call post-feminist because it's like a new wave mm-hmm. of some kind that hasn't really like you have to look at something historically to declare when like a wave is over. Yeah, like maybe but, in 20 years we'll know what the fourth wave was. We'll, be, yeah. we'll know like fourth wave feminism began in 2007 or but like right now it's a little too recent. But I think his mom was one of those Lila or Emma types. Do you get what I'm saying? I do. I, I see. Do. And yeah. I, listen, I don't know the man. I don't know his mother. <laughs> no. For all I know, they have a great relationship. But but, but there's uh, something going on with his relationship to women generally that he's right. been even right. quite transparent about and has actually like openly talked about like the way that he treated actresses that he worked with and his shame about that. I mean, insofar as he's ever been self-aware, Joss Whedon's been open about that and how he's mistreated women he's worked with. I mean, I don't think he's been as self-aware as I'd like him to be about it. But he has said that. So, I mean, the dude's got issues. Like, it's it's in his work and it's in yeah. the statements he's made, you know? And the yeah. thing that really frustrates me about Emma in this run, because he just makes her crazy, and like, so from the jump. mean and sexy. Well, and she's betraying <laughs> them from within. Uh, you know, and it's it's so challenging, too, because this is, like, right after that we had just gotten the, the multiple years that Grant Morrison... Well, right after the definitive run yes. on the character that had yep. made her... Yeah. An A-list fan favorite character, right? And you go from like Grant Morrison writing to like Joss Whedon, and it's such a jump where you're like, okay, like one of these pre- people understands this character feminism, the other one doesn't, and it's like so obvious. Yeah, it's rough. Well, it's also like the end of New X Men is Jean Grey from the White Hot Room saying, "Scott and my marriage was irrevocably broken, and I want you two to be happy." Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, that's all undone in this comic book. Here all is like Emma's so threatened and Scott is so hung up on Jean immediately when it's like I mean it's obviously she just died they're gonna have feelings about it it's like as though Joss wanted to write this 20 years prior to when he was actually able to write it so he just was like I want to write a 90s arc so I'm just gonna write a 90s arc and hope nobody notices (laughs) well that's the thing about Kitty and Emma's relationship too because there's that bit where she's like when I think of evil I see your face I fucking hated that so Emma was her first villain they're introduced in the same issue I like thematically they've always been tied as characters and Emma did do all kinds of hellacious shit to Kitty in an effort to like come to my side come to the dark side of the forest she but, did however we i mean like how many years had it been since that all happened correct right? like, yeah. i mean emma's you, been the headmistress at gen x for 10 years and wouldn't jubilee and kitty like be like jubilee be like hey emma's cool you know i've just been like learning right. under her for like how many years also like they were all at scott and jean's wedding yeah they yeah. were all <laughs> at the mansion for like a million events like 
Kitty knows Emma. No, Kitty's 13 years old again in this issue somehow. She's she's a little tiny baby. But that's yeah. what I'm saying cuz she's supposed to be she's supposed to be 20 and a different person and yeah. also not I mean it just doesn't it, it beggars belief that she would still feel this way about Emma after Emma's character arc over the last at this point, 14 years of publication since right. the death of the Hellions. So yeah. it just doesn't make sense. I, I think that's what we really liked about Krakoa, too. Yes. You know, because, like, they let them be friends. Thankfully, <laughs> right, thankfully, this, I do think it's this comic, reacting to this comic is what lets Jerry Duggan's work with Kate and Emma be so good. Yes, yeah. completely. Because it because it's like, oh, this is what it should be, but it has to build on this. Yeah. Because we had to be reminded of this relationship because they hadn't interacted since the 80s. It just beggars belief that particularly after Phalanx Covenant, when like editorially they said Excalibur is just UK X-Men now, yeah. that they wouldn't be people who'd met like on many occasions, you know? <laughs> it just doesn't... Yeah. Like, it's just not... It's not plausible. Yeah. Kitty was leading Excalibur with Kurt for like a long time. Yeah. Because editorial was like, get these Captain Britain characters out of here, which was a mistake. And <laughs> the book never recovered from it. But what are you going to do? Um, anyway, uh, to, to, to go back is just what I hate is the way that I mean, and Scott and Logan are also like absurd here, mm-hmm. but I can't personally deal with the way that the women are written in this comic at all times whenever they interact with each other. It makes it not hold up, but it does feel so Joss Whedon 2004, which is when the comic was originally written. I think the motion comic came out in 2010. Yeah. Well, it's very Willow and Anya. Like it's, he does this a lot. It's yes. Willow and Cordelia, right? Like he, he, ha- he loves to have a bitch character. Like yeah. the nerdy cool girl, capital C, capital G. And then like the, bitchy hot girl whose boobs are up to here well, and she's context i mean buffy and willow as characters are both based on kitty pride yeah. right mm-hmm. he yeah. split her this is actually kind of interesting so joss whedon he, women really only can be one thing because kitty pride is his inspiration but he splits her into two characters yeah because yeah, she's got too much going on so split her up you know yeah because the jewish hacker is willow yep yeah, who's like a, uh, yeah. a nerd, and then yeah. the like cute valley girl who likes to wear lots of necklaces at the same time is Buffy. Buffy is the rich girl from Chicago suburbs, and, and she has who, the little tendrils. But, yeah, exactly. The curtain bangs. So you know, I mean, she's from LA, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, that's the vibe. Is like she's the girl who like comes for money and is insecure, but not that nerd yes like the fact that willow's jewish even i'm just sort of like it really is just he split the character into two people which Mm -hmm. i think is Mm -hmm. fascinating also makes sense because kitty's bi and buffy's straight and willow's gay so that all tracks i don't know how straight buffy (laughs) is i think she i think she's definitely a raging bisexual i guess now in the comics after oh i don't know the comics are not canon to me and i i think buffy (laughs) is mostly straight but i also think that no one has ever made buffy come like faith yeah yeah (laughs) in season three but but like the problem is that's like my buffy ship but the problem is I love that, that this is like low-key a buffy episode today like we're just doing full <laughs> buffy well, and angel. i mean look this, this was my i'd rather if we're gonna talk about joss whedon's work i'd rather talk about those shows that are good to talk about buffy and angel we have to i mean he's he's his work, i mean i think they all lead into each other i think it ex- explains a lot of what's happening here in this comic right yeah because of when it was written too like this comic was written hot off the heels of the Buffy success and like the Joss Whedon worship. Well, it's right after Angel ends. This is era of Joss 
being seen as the the feminist that everyone is supposed to love. And the most popular nerd creator in the world. Yeah, do you remember that? Like the early 2000s, how people were about Joss Whedon? Do you remember Whedon-esque? Like, it was... Yes, Whedon-esque. And also, like, the way that people would literally bow down to him at cons. Like, people would bow to him. It was absurd. Okay, I mean, Maddie knows this, but one of my exes was, like, a huge Whedon fan. And to the point that after we'd broken up and I saw him again, he was still talking about, like... Like how, how it was unfair. The cancellation was unfair and all this, he was saying. Yeah, and I was like, did you read the same things that <laughs> like, I was reading? Like, what? I, and I don't talk to him anymore, but like... But I think of him, I think of him as sort of the er fan because like he he sort of like showed me how the Joss Whedon fans will never change, you know? Like there's still people out there who are like, no, Buffy was the greatest thing ever and I'm never going to... To move forward. I mean, we're not going to argue that Buffy and Angel wasn't good. We enjoyed Buffy well, and also, Angel. Well, also, Buffy ended because the actress he had locked into a seven-year contract left the minute she could leave yep. because he's a nightmare. Yes, yeah. yes. As every call-out post about him has said. She won't yeah. even talk about it. She's like, I'm not going to even address any of the shit that happened during that time. Well, and she's been open about that since the show ended. They yeah. almost never appeared together. They don't like each other. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, David Boreanaz hates him, too. Everyone and I think does, that if Most of the leads, everyone but the Firefly cast because they didn't spend enough time with him. <laughs> <laughs> dude, oh, my dude. God. I like I love that uh freaking Gal Gadot was like the one who started this whole thing super publicly. Gal Gadot even was like, wow, he sucks so bad. <laughs> yeah, I know. And she he was like, actually it's just because you can't understand my English. And she's like, No, I understand you. You're an asshole. Like that was how that went out. And like this is but that was I think where he really Aired because yes. people still to this day don't take television actresses as seriously yeah. unless it's like a prestige HBO thing or I whatever. Know, which is fucked up, but so true. Right. But you can't do that to Wonder Woman on the set of Justice <laughs> League <laughs> and not have it. Because she doesn't need you. Yeah. yeah. Like she doesn't give a shit. Yeah. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, like so she's, she's going to say whatever she feels. Like I feel like he got away with a lot with ScarJo right. and Black Widow that like wasn't capable of flying with Gal Gadot because she was just like, Because no. she wasn't, that was before ScarJo became the top movie star in the world. Right, of That's course. That's why they managed to lock her into a Marvel contract. I know, because yeah. she has this like nothing character who was shit on for in every Marvel movie, basically. That's how they got J-Law in those fucking X-Men movies. You sign them up early and then they're stuck. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. So, I know. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, so, uh, oh God, where were we? I don't even remember. Oh, the point, I guess I was just trying to say, I fucking hate this comic. Right down to the fact that this whole art is. I'm so glad you're here. Having a great time. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Well, and I'm, I'm being off, the, I'm being more off the cuff because on my show, I try to keep it more positive. Also, well, we let the venom I'm, out. Like, I, oh, I'm sorry. What's Joss Whedon going to be mad at me? Like, I don't care. We're not, okay. We're not going to have Joss Whedon on our show. We're not going to get him on for an interview. He's never going to be on the Mutant Ages. And Joss Whedon was would never hire me anyway because hopefully Joss Whedon's never running a show again. I'm sorry, so, but you know. he listens to every episode and he calls me crying every night and he's like, oh my god, you guys were so mean to me. Joss, stop calling us. <laughs> professionally, I'm not professionally worried. It's not just about personal advancements. Like, I represent people who work in the comics business. I don't want to be like talking shit about people like Joss Whedon. But it's I'm safe like, to talk no. about Joss Whedon, let's be honest. Anyways. I don't give a shit. What's he going to do to me <laughs> at this point? Nothing. He can't do anything. He's going to come at you and be like, I had to delete my Twitter because he's got like a <laughs> he's got the money but like you know I mean I don't know 
Anyway, I'm not saying anything that's libelous. I'm just talking about your bad comics. So the motion comic. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. But we we didn't we tangented immediately and we didn't finish the Kavita Rao point, which is that Kavita yeah, let's Rao. Let's get back to Miss Kavita Rao. Kavita Rao, the antagonist of this arc, who's the scientist who invents the cure, the, uh, the mutant cure is an Indian woman, which, uh, by the way, Joss Whedon is crazy for that. I to be like okay. My eugenicist scientist in this story is one of the only person of color in this comic. Yeah. Is insane. But there's that. <laughs> but then in this yep. motion comic, she is voiced by a white woman. And this is why I said the thing at the beginning about like on my podcast, I only do white people accents. Like, I will talk a storm yes. in a voice. Yeah, sure. stormish. Yes. But yes. I'm not going to try a Kenyan or Egyptian yes, accent because yes. that would be psychotic. Yeah. And this actress... And this was also the norm at the it time. Sure it was. I mean, this is... Apu, this is before the Apu problem goes viral and all of that. Right. But like, it's just this white woman... Of course. And she is going... She is doing a full Apu accent. It's bad. Because also she didn't need... She didn't need to have an accent no, at all. She could have not had an accent. <laughs> there's nothing in the comic to suggest she has an accent. No, there's nothing. Yeah, it's not I written with like Gambit style accented words. They're in New York yeah. City. I used to live in Murray Hill. The locals in Murray Hill, many of whom were Indian, called it Curry Hill because it was a hugely Indian neighborhood. There are lots of American doctors. There's nothing to suggest. I mean, I think maybe it said that Kavita Rao is British at some point. But, but then she could have a British accent of any variety. Right. You could have just done an <laughs> you could have done an RP accent or something. She could have had any variety of British accents, but they just went with Literally, this Literally, there's no they went with Quickie Mart and it's mm-hmm. really wild. It is yeah. really bad. And it was like the first thing we it's commented rough. on while we were watching like, it. There's nothing wrong with this scientist having an Indian accent, but then hire someone but with an Indian accent someone to do who the has that voice. Accent. Or someone who can't, like an Indian person. You know yeah. what I mean? Like It's crazy. It makes me think a lot about right now with the X-Men revival that's going to be coming, X-Men 97, yes. how Alison Court was like, I'll be an X-Men and play a different role, but you need to find a Chinese actress. But she was like, I don't think I should play Jubilee. Yeah, yeah she's like, like find Again, a Chinese yeah. actress to play her. Chinese American actress, yeah. And that I thought was cool of her because Jubilee is just a valley girl. That's not a specific. There's oh, no specificity of accent there. Yeah. It's not like you're doing a racial accent, but it's still, but it's still a good love gesture. That because she's giving the opportunity. Yeah, no, I think it was a cool gesture. And, and it's like, it's so much more awkward with this character, Dr. Yes. Rao, especially because as Connor noted, she's the only person of color Especially because this. she's a racist I know. who's a person of color she's the racist eugenicist doctor like she is medical racism allegorically in this story she is the face of medical racism she is she is and she but she is pretending to in be in the way that hydra or weapon x usually are I, okay, I know. Hold on. in these comics well, everyone pause for a second because i just have to ask aside from kitty and this comic that joss whedon wrote is there is there a female character who is not evil because there's agent brand dr kavita rao and emma frost well Emma's being mind controlled, so she's not really evil. No, she's being mind controlled by another woman. Like, is that what- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. She's being mind controlled by Cassandra Nova. Kind of. I, I read Which, into the spoilers uh, we, on this. We, it's uh, very complex. Don't don't, <laughs> don't worry about it. I have a I have a I have a great episode on Cassandra Nova with Patrick Willems that you might like yes. if okay, you yeah, are no. interested because Patrick we talk Willems. about why that storyline is the dirt worst. It's <laughs> insane. It's fucking nuts. So and the beginnings of it are in this comic. Like put the mind control to one side. I would argue that she is presented as evil regardless of the mind control. She is. Yeah. 
Because we don't even know that until the very end of this storyline, you know? Yes, so everyone is evil, including the phantom negasonic teenage warhead, who is actually just a face of Cassandra Nova, but it's a wild way to bring back the genocide victim who is the face of Genosha. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. but that's the point. Like, it's supposed to be perverse that you would... It's, yes. it, well, it's actually... It's, again, Joss Whedon ripping himself off because <laughs> it's just Jenny Callender as the first evil. Yes, yeah. it is. It is. Oh, my God, Jenny Calendar. It's been so long since I thought about that. Yana of the Calderash. <laughs> that's one of my favorite characters. Let's get back to season one Buffy y'all well Let's season two well also jenny calendar <laughs> by the way is another storyline that joss whedon rift, lifted from 80s x-men comics mm-hmm, because mm-hmm, the mm-hmm, hero's mm-hmm. girlfriend is secretly a romani spy yep is literally what happens with nightcrawler and amanda sefton yeah of oh, course yeah. of course the the mysterious girlfriend of color suddenly is evil secretly in ways that she may or may not be able to control that's yeah it's complicated in x-men because amanda sefton is cinty and like is blonde mm-hmm. like so it's not in the i know in the in cartoon X-Men evolution, evolution yeah. she's yeah character. i know yeah. she's actually way better on that show we don't know what they were gonna do with her on that and i, I talked about that while you're watching i it. think they were gonna finish writing it out i i'm a huge fan of her in the comic but yeah. i will grant that i i just i was annoyed on the show that she wasn't a witch because that's what's fun that she has this other thing that isn't x-men related yeah we think we think that they were gonna go in because that direction they depict her parents as like a black man and a romani woman well yeah no they keep her mother from the comics yeah. yeah but like her mother is not a doctor strange caliber sorceress the way she is in the comics <laughs> which is, is also she? a bummer to me you know what i mean who knows we'll never know what season five of x-men evolution was gonna be we'll you know right know. we'll, we'll never, never know, know. what i'm like... saying is if you had four seasons if you had four seasons get to it by now should have got off the pot a little bit is sort I of my feeling don't disagree not... i don't no disagree. extra credit for season five that never it's happened it's hilarious <laughs> kurt also is canonically supposed to be gay on that show so like that was written on purpose is so he? like yeah that Apparently. was just we he just... was based on a gay wow. one of the writer's sons. That is not how that show watched to me. But oh, he only you know, seemed gay with know. Cyclops, honestly, because that was like a weird thing in that show where they're like, okay. I know all the Slash girls were drawing him in Toad. Yes, constantly. But yeah, we talked That's about what that. I remember. We something about, about tails and tons, you know. But <laughs> I, I don't. I, it, not my, not my ministry. Not my journey. God bless them. <laughs> I wish them well. Okay, so back to the motion comic. Let's yeah. try back to. to <laughs> yeah, I guess we should talk a little bit about the motion yes, comic, okay. right? Yes. So, um, let me. Do you want me to? Do you want me to like go into a little bit of the context of what it is? Yeah, sure. And, like, let's sure. Do, let's yeah. do the thing. Um, so it is available if people want to watch it. It's I watch it for free on Daily Motion, which I That's recommend I if you don't want to give Joss any money. But you can also watch a higher quality version on Amazon if you pay for oh, it on Amazon. Jeff Bezos probably keeps the. Buck. I just want to be clear. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't think Joss Whedon is get. Also, it's a Marvel work for higher profit. But nonetheless, if you don't want to support Jeffy Bezos, you can you can watch it on Daily Motion. Yeah, you could you could also just buy it pre-owned on eBay and so the money goes to You can to, and then it's like $2. Not him at all. It's, yeah. I kind of <laughs> recommend watching it because it's it's interesting as a historical artifact. It's kind of crazy that it's not up on YouTube. I know. Yeah, I thought the same but thing. But I guess I was like, why is it on YouTube? I feel like somebody would have uploaded it there, right? It might be because like cuz it's not because like Joss Whedon got canceled cuz they still sell no, the no, omnibus. No, no, no. 
it's you know not what I mean? bad. Like, and most people don't give a shit. Yeah, most yeah. people still like this run. No. And they're like, and most people right, still exactly. like this motion comic. It has great reviews. The motion comic is good. I was expecting when we were going into this to see some like reading rainbow level of animation, but I was actually like, no, no this is it's pretty great. good, you know? It's great. The animation's yeah. gorgeous. I wish they did more of these. I think it's really fun. I agree. Yeah. Like some of the new shit that's out, I'd love to see them animated like this. Oh my like God. This. I would love that. They do little trailers and things, but they haven't done like anything voiced like this. Yeah. I think it would yeah, be fun. Yeah, this is like a full scale. I think I originally saw their first motion comic they released years before this where they did like the Ultimates or something and like that Ooh, was like... They started out jankity for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was like very Flash on new grounds. It was just vibes. on them like zooming in on the panels really fast and I was like, I'll just read the book. This one they do some clearly bespoke animations where like they have to actually move characters' arms right. and the well, lips. The they lips, have everybody actually talk. You actually, like you can, you can read their lips. Yeah, you They're can... actually saying the words, which I was stunned by. Me I too. forgot Me too. that they did that. I, didn't I thought it was just going to be like still pictures talking. Yep. Even yep. like when they're like walking down hallways or yes. fighting each other, I was like, this is believable. Well, yeah. part of that I think is I noticed in the credits that it says directed by John Cassidy and Neil Adams. Yes. So John Cassidy drew the comic. Right. So having the artist actually in the room yep. to convey like, here's how the motion should work goes a long way. And then Neil Adams, the late Neil Adams, died last year, was one of the first artists on the X-Men in the 60s who like really pushed it. He was a legendary Marvel artist. So yeah. I think that you could tell this wasn't just like we we outsourced this to some studio and paid yeah. them like $10 to make it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because getting Whedon at the time was a huge coup oh, for Marvel. It was, That's it the was thing. huge. Kind of makes me wonder, were they planning to adapt... His entire run. Or... No, so they, oh, hold on. I'm looking this up real quick because I at one point I pulled up all the motion comics. Is like we'll do them on the show eventually. They, they might have done more they of did, them. They might have done Danger. No, so yeah, they did Gifted, Dangerous, Torn, Unstoppable. They did. They did fucking Wolverine Origin. Oh, then they Jesus. did all of it. Jesus they did. They Christ. did Ultimate Wolverine versus Hulk. Maddie, just to, you want to. <laughs> I'm not, I am not doing Wolverine Origin with you. That comic is stupid as fuck. I'm sorry, Ryan. You watch that the by worst. yourself. It's just awful. It's so stupid. Ryan doesn't even believe me how stupid it is. I love all the people who worked on it because I don't think it's their fault. Oh, it's not their I, fault, I, I but just, it is the dumbest the, shit in the The core universe. premise of the comic is just really Dumb? just a loser from the beginning. Because <laughs> the whole thing that's interesting about Wolverine is that we didn't know where he came from. That was like the, the thing that was cool. Correct. And that he Correct. didn't know. And also, the more you learn the worse it is but also like it doesn't actually explain anything it doesn't like know. you know what I mean it just adds a lot of really bad details to his backstory that now we're stuck with yep. unfortunately oh my god like, Terrible. previously he could have been from like the 1200s like we knew nothing yeah, you know how cool what if he had been be? fighting Celine since time immemorial what if he and yeah, Conan were sick. friends and they were like battling in the Hyborian age like why that would have been neat I, okay the last time I read that is like when it came out and Maddie keeps being like Ryan you should reread it now and I was like I don't yeah, want Ryan, to it's not worth remembering it because <laughs> don't reread it but also do reread it so that we can talk about it on the show but anyways <laughs> back to the motion comic right the motion comic so if they did four of them yeah. and I could be wrong I think there might only be four arcs of Whedon X-Men because he right. was so late every month <laughs> like it, they, there, there would be long breaks on this comic like they were putting up with him well the comic starts before House of M and the Decimation and ends afterward but they never talk about it because enough time can to pass? Yeah, it's it's just four. You guys are right. The arc of Astonishing X-Men that I'm looking at in Marvel Unlimited, it goes through to 2013, but by that point, Marjorie Liu is writing it, not just we did it anymore. Exactly. You know, that's different. That's, that's yeah. not... He doesn't write that far. It's even before Marjorie Liu wrote 
wrote it. I think Warren Ellis did some issues. Uh, so. Yeah, you're right because they Warren Ellis came and he did the whole freaking um, ghost box thing. Yeah, that's Warren Ellis. That arc fucking sucks it's so bad. <laughs> and I, I, I was a, and listen, I'm a big Warren Ellis fan, not of like the guy because it's complicated these days, yeah. obviously. But I mean, like of his work. That comic fucking sucks. Yeah, ghost yeah. box is just like it, it sucks. On its face. It just doesn't make any sense. You like, what am I reading? It's like also weirdly kind of just racist. Mm-hmm. Like there's yeah. just lots of stuff about it that's very um odd. Anyway. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> the motion comic. The motion, so, comic. the motion so- comic. This motion comic is in six parts and it portrays the first arc of Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men, Gifted. This is the follow-up. Sort of. There was like a weird period of the middle where like Chuck Austin and Chris Claremont and a couple other people filled in after Morrison quit. Yeah. I did just a couple, like a month or two ago, oh, I guess it was, um, it was March. I did a, a an episode of Cerebro with Chuck Austin and it's really, really yeah, fun. Yeah, I saw, we I, had a lot I, of listened, fun. I listened to that one. He's it was a good. great guy, but his X-Men comic is flawed, let's say. Anyway, so the, <laughs> the big thing, because they were like, oh, you know, X-Men comics had just been revitalized. The Morrison Rome was extremely polarizing, but it sold like crazy. Like everyone was buying it, yep. even if they hated it. So mm-hmm. after Morrison left, there was this vacuum for a moment. And like, they tried a lot of stuff. Like, again, they gave the flagship back to Chris Claremont for a sec. They, they tried things, but it wasn't until I think the following year when Whedon comes on that it was like, okay, we got the biggest name mm-hmm. in nerd entertainment to come write his first project, I think yeah. for Marvel. And you know, it's this from the beginning I hate so much about this run <laughs> of the comics. Um, like, so New X-Men was an incredible book that took a lot of risks. At the time, I was a teenager when it was coming yeah, out. Same. I was mm-hmm. pissed at some of the things Grant Morrison did, but I still captivated, you know? I think yeah. we're in the same age bracket, honestly. Yeah, I'm 35. Yeah, I'm 38, 39. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Who can keep track after a certain point? The older you get, the less you remember on we're that. We're in the same age bracket. Yeah. I just turned 37. Okay, back to Connor. Okay, all right. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> no, but, but so... But New X-Men was... The thing that it did was it gave the franchise a shot in the arm. I, was, I talked to Chris Claremont about this at Comic-Con a couple of years ago. Yeah. Like, he said that even though he doesn't like Grant's X-Men, mm-hmm. he thinks it's good because it's different from his. Yeah. What he doesn't like is people writing stuff that he feels like he could write. That is the most respectable way you could approach that, right? Like, as, an, yeah. as a fellow writer. It's right. like, that's not the way I would have written the X-Men, but I respect what he did. Mm-hmm. The minute that Morrison is off the company begins rolling back every single thing that Morrison did. <laughs> oh my God, I know. In the comic. <laughs> They're like, all mutants? Let's get rid of all the mutants. Like, quickly. Yeah, besides the death of Jean Grey, which sticks, shockingly, for like 15 like or 20 years. years time. Like, yeah, it was really gone. long she was, time. I thought she was going to come back way sooner it. than that. I was like, what is happening? Well, but here's the thing. I mean, hot take, I don't think she ever should have. I think that Jean Grey ascending... I don't think that's a hot take around most people. I, I think most people agree with you i think well i don't think she ever should have after the first time well not the first first time but like after dark phoenix i don't think she ever no should i have. know what you mean i know what you we mean. are in the same company of that because we also feel like gene gray that story that they should have told was that it wasn't a phoenix like possessing her it was just yeah her, it was just her like exploring well, it her wasn't feelings. when they wrote yeah, it right and then saying. they went back and they retconned <laughs> it and they're like actually some other things possessing her and we're like what well note that chris claremont will still complain to you about this 
40 years later if you ask him about it at a con because he was furious about the whole thing i can't blame yeah. him for it honestly because that oh yeah was... no i know he I, I remember reading the interviews where at the time he was like i don't know why they're doing that well whatever they wanted her to be an innocent angel i do think that scott and emma are like the better coupling too so i would prefer that i like them together also but i think scott and gene have like i think they're just very different and i think that it works it works to me that like scott and gene are the high school sweethearts who aren't actually compatible as adults yes mm-hmm. that's like the perfect way of putting it part of that is because he's a loser and she's a deity yeah and they individually can't deal with that yeah you know what i mean yeah so i think that the best possible way for that to end that marriage to end is how it ends in new x-men not like the infidelity necessarily but i mean how it actually ends with her ascended as the white phoenix of the crown saying like i'm god now and it's okay for you to be with a dominatrix who doesn't (laughs) like that you're a loser (laughs) you know what i mean yeah 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 yeah. so i really love that arc i think that gene and emma are the heart of the morrison run and you know it's just a shame that immediately in this story emma's like just resents Jean as a good yeah, like, no. mocks her does that dream sequence with Scott where she dresses yeah. up she does the Dark Phoenix cosplay in the Morrison run when oh, they're yeah. cheating on yeah. Jean because she thinks it's funny but she wouldn't do it like a month after Jean died it's like, so like, you know, weird mean but that's gauche in a way that Emma's I not. also feel like recently on the Krakoa era where they like actually have Jean and Emma manage to be friends on top of all this is the direction that that would have gone at the end of the Grant Morrison arc but then Joss Whedon's like no Emma and Jean need to hate each other and she's not even here. The, the bitch is dead she's not even here like why why bring all this up and be like I'm jealous of Jean she's a ghost mm-hmm. it's like she's not coming back like just everyone relax you well, know but Emma has- has to hate every other woman in her vicinity because she's a high school mean girl and she's not an adult woman with like feelings but that's not who she I th- okay i could get into like how emma is completely wrong and joss whedon's run but i think we're all on the same page with that yeah right? i mean so, do like, we need to explain like, it i feel like we have yeah. done <laughs> Let, let's let's go back and do it again <laughs> <laughs> just to really hound in the point uh, should we talk about the content i guess of the comic so sure, um, yeah i mean we can go through it there's actually not a lot that happens yeah well we, we i don't even think we need to go chapter by chapter you want to do like three sentences because yeah we can do it, it pretty up. quick we can do it pretty quick do you want to try yeah. to do it in three sentences connor challenge mode <laughs> see if you can do it i think i could okay, yeah give it um, a shot. <laughs> it's bad that sentence I'm thinking, one. I'm not silent. No, I know you're thinking. You're thinking. In the wake of Magneto's rampage in New York City, the X-Men begin to reframe themselves once more as a superhero organization rather than an activist group, while simultaneously a scientist named Dr. Kavita Rao develops what she calls a cure for mutation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The news creates chaos in the mutant community, not least of which among the faculty, as Hank McCoy is tempted to get rid of his mutation, while Emma Frost views the whole situation as tantamount to genocide. Meanwhile, in the shadows, the terrible character Ord of the Breakworld, the <laughs> despot of an alien planet, is secretly funding Kavita Rao in collaboration with S.W.O.R.D., the space detachment of shield yes because because a mutant is fated to destroy break world at some point oh oh Hold oh on. right 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 no did you, and come up with, did you come up with that like off the riff yeah of course he did yeah. that's incredible <laughs> yeah that was actually very very good comment. i was like wait did oh, he oh, write oh, that oh, down uh, so i would add an m dash there at the end <laughs> m dash um, m dash and, 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 uh, you add an, add an m dash at the end and it says 
creating the cure by experimenting on Pyotr Rasputin, a.k.a. Colossus, the X-Men's long-thought-dead comrade. Yes, correct, yeah. correct. The subtext is that Kitty Pride has come back to the school because Emma has requested that Kitty, this part I like, that Kitty come be on staff because she knows Kitty will call her on her shit in a way that, like, Scott won't. Yes. yes. So that part I like. If only that was written well. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all to set up the sick, sick, sick final arc of this book where Joss Whedon decides that if he has his way, no other man will ever get to touch Kitty Pride and puts her in a space bullet and shoots her into the depths of space. Dude, I can't. Um, I just, I can't deal and, with that ending. And it, it has, like, people... Uh, oh, we can't even get into this because so many people think that issue is like so moving. I'm like, this sucks ass. <laughs> yeah, right. And we're like, she, he literally turns Kitty Pride into a bullet and it like fires her away and makes her permanently intangible so that no, no one and nothing can ever touch her after Joss Whedon does. Is <laughs> no, what I'll just say. Oh my God. So obviously what made Joss Whedon really famous was that he has a great ear for dialogue. Mm-hmm. And so Emma has lots of great lines yeah. in these comics. Like I agree. we have learned the first lesson. They will always hate us. Yes. Is an all timer. Emma line. I am a diamond. Miss pride. I am by definition, my own best friend is an all time. Emma line. Yes. Yeah. The exchange between Kitty and Emma as Kitty is shooting off into space and essentially dying of surprised Miss Frost, astonished Miss Pride is really good. Giving Emma the title drop. I like mm-hmm. that, that line later on where Emma says, like Scott's talking about uh, Jean and Emma says, right, right. Jean is a sacred cow. At least we agree <laughs> on the cow part. I was like. It's so mean, right? See, I don't like that line because I don't think she would. I think she one in her mind she and did. I don't think she would do it you know yeah. I feel like she would say that when Jean's still alive you right. know what I mean like and she, they, well, she did she said like when Jean was flying overhead because she had phoenixed out and saved herself and Logan toward the end of New X-Men and like she, Jean has telekinetically created a spaceship and is like <laughs> hovering it over Emma <laughs> and Hank and Hank looks up and goes what is that and Emma says oh what else Hank bloody Jean showing <laughs> off again <laughs> which I think is really funny yeah like you know but Jean was alive yeah it's petty in a way that I don't like she she is allowed to be very cruel in a fun way yeah. that just doesn't always match the moment yeah. but once Jean is dead it's like woof. well because Jean had the power in yeah. that scenario exactly. like Jean is the one who is Xavier's protege who is the most powerful telepath in the universe like once she's dead it just feels petty and catty mm-hmm. which is not like the Emma versus Jean thing to me was more about an underdog and the popular girl you know like like now Emma's the popular girl but like this is it's like Whedon doesn't understand Heathers right like like, once Heathers dead you're not supposed to gloat like you know that makes you the bad person right the perfect way to describe that oh my god yeah it's true it's true but so okay I do think that there are some good ideas in this comic around the idea of the cure right the idea that some people would want it the idea that uh, the idea I mean well, actually, so one thing that infuriates me is that Whedon, because of his Kitty Pride obsession, I guess, probably has this fixation on writing Jewish characters, particularly Jewish women. Um, and so here he's actually writing Kitty Pride. And like, listen, you know, write whatever you want. Uh, I find the words he puts in her mouth here. You know, I'm not someone who's like, I'm a fa- Like, I don't want to like be outraged. But so it's when, so Kavita Rao, Again, insane character. Insane to be like the most prominent 
South Asian character of all time in an X-Men comic is going to be this woman. <laughs> it's going to be the bigoted person who's actually trying to help help people by healing them of their non-normalcy. The person who is doing like Dr. Mengele experiments yes. on children. Yes, yes, um, yes. 100%. For their own good. Yeah, you know? like, to save so, them. <laughs> well, and, and what's really interesting, it, well, what's really interesting is the, the recent comics have done something similar with Moira McTaggart, oh my it's God. very complicated, but, yeah. but she's white. Exactly. It's just, it doesn't vibe the same way. Right. I totally agree with that. Also, because Moira herself is a mutant, that changes it too, because now she's a self-hating mutant. Exactly. Yeah. If you're a self-hating and it's like, but, it, but also just the optics, like having, saying this is a comic about racism mm-hmm. and then putting that on the one character of color, I think is just nuts. So that's crazy to begin with. But in her press conference where she explains the cure to the public and shows footage of Tilty Soames murdering her parents. Why, yeah. How does she acquire that? That's also my question. deeply inappropriate. Really inappropriate. <laughs> She's showing it to everybody in the audience. And also Tildy's there. And I'm yeah, like. Yeah, Tildy well, like comes out on stage after that and is like, yeah, everything's cool now. By the way, I'm still only like six. Like I have like no perspective of this. It's a really inappropriate dynamic. Uh, we recently watched uh, Wolverine and the X-Men and Tildy was in that show because I was like. She makes a little cameo. Uh, yeah, I was like, oh, wait, Tildy, this is where she actually route. came from. Yeah, well, it's yeah. weird because they have to adapt some of Joss Whedon's run for Wolverine and the X-Men because that was like the animated show that was made shortly after this. They also, I, I mean, I think X-Men 3, my least favorite X-Men movie. Well, that's not true. X-Men no, Origins, Wolverine Origins exists. is the worst yeah, one. That is. I was going to say, well, I, I, I would take the last stand over a good couple of them actually i think that's fair the last stand is a really bad movie but i think it's the best ever adaptation of the dark phoenix that's saga. what's really i mean i don't know and i mean in any, no because it's like it, they make it actually about her it keeps the original premise <sighs> and it gets the relationship between her and xavier that exactly part is right great because what what turns Jean into dark phoenix is that xavier was her teacher and what when they reveal that she just like leaves though, we can't guys we can't get derailed talking about x3 but connor <laughs> if you rewatch it you will we notice we also that- can't talk about no it's a terrible movie <laughs> to be clear but i just like that but i don't like most of the fox x X-Men movies, so I'm just sort of like, yeah, it does a couple things I find interesting. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, want to yeah, rewatch yeah. that, that I one agree first. With- Certainly before First Class, which like apart from Fassbender's performance, I just think is god it's pretty bad it's, it's really uh, the same weird. reaction when we rewatched here i was like this is not even edited well i couldn't follow. even understand what's happening moira mctaggart is a spy who wears lingerie that's a movie about <laughs> racism that's racist yeah. right yes. like that's yes. a shocking example of that right. yeah I know, uh you I said know. it in the 60s and didn't even think about it like yeah. come on i mean like, like you said fastbender is what we got to take well away from also all you can tell <laughs> that it was a magneto origins movie that, that they, they came after the wolverine yeah, origins movie was so bad and then rewrote an X-Men movie around it because the only good scenes are the Magneto. <laughs> the ones anyway, that they kept from Magneto. I know. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. From the original script. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Kavita Rao. She's- oh, oh, no. I go, so Kavita Rao gives a speech where she explains that mutants are not a culture or a race or a, a sexuality or anything like that. They're a virus. And here's the thing. 
I think it makes like again. I think this would work better for me if it was coming out of Henry Peter Gyrick or Valerie Cooper as opposed to Kavita Rao. But, or Moira McTaggart, you know. But, yeah. yeah, but that's not to suggest. <laughs> well, I'm. She was still a good guy back then. Yeah, so Moira I'm thinking still, of like, yeah, you know, Moira was still actually Val was too by that. I point. mean, she was actively trying to cure the mutant gene like years before and locking no, her she, son no, in the basement. You know, but no, she wasn't. Like that's the thing is it, it that's all like she was trying to contain his. We can't. This is we can't <laughs> talk about the Proteus saga. <laughs> From 1979, right now on your podcast, I love that arc. It's one of my favorites. We love it too. It's just Moira is very questionable. No, I mean Moira was always shady. That was one of the things that was interesting about Moira. It's why the retcon works. Yeah. But like, anyway, we don't we don't have to get into that. Uh, the point I'm just making is like there are plenty of people. They invent a character to be the mouthpiece of this ideology, right? And there are plenty of people of color who are bigots in other ways. Yeah. Who, who I mean, are... that happens across the board, right? But yes. it's it's weird when it's the one. Yes. One character Correct. of color. Correct. I guess, okay, so to be fair, Hisako Ichiki is also in this arc. Oh, uh, armor. The portrayal of her is also off. And oh, I, I, I gotta say, that's why but I blanked it, no, it out. But wait, 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 wait. This is where she came from, right? Yeah, she, he's in, she's invented in that's this right. story, oh, really? which is why she has anime powers. Yeah, this was her first story. It was by Joss Whedon. I think I covered it when we were talking about Armor's backstory. Joss Whedon did not want to read anyone else's comics. So despite the fact that there is a comic running at this time called Academy X that has like 50 characters he invents two new characters for his run yeah he invents armor and wing so that he can I mean, kill armor's pretty wing. fucking cool but wing is like he just like floats around and i'm like you could have picked anybody else well it's because they want to get rid of wing 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 is invented to be killed ryan right. like he's, yeah. a, he's oh, a i understand device. that wing is invented to be killed off which is like a yeah which is a very yes. joss whedon yeah. ploy right I mean, it's a very comics ploy. It's a very Pulp Fiction ploy in general, but he loves But it. Joss Whedon likes killing people, and he's like, ha-ha, <laughs> this is the only thing I know how to well, write. Well, he also specifically likes there needs to be a character in the first episode yeah. who dies. Yep, like, that's yep, the thing yep. that right. he's really into, because it shows that we're serious. Uh, <laughs> and listen, in 1997, it did. But now I just, it, it, by, by 2004, whenever this is, he's pulled the bell a couple too yeah, many times. 100%. Mm-hmm. I think it was Coulson in Avengers where I was like, enough already. Because <laughs> that was just Serenity, again. Like, it was the same exact shot. Do you like that after that, when they did Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., he was talking about how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. wasn't even in the MCU because he didn't count that. And we're like, well, you don't run the MCU. But so... also, he's right, because they never <laughs> acknowledge it ever as something that exists in the No, you're right. You're universe. right. And if we get through Secret Invasion and Quake doesn't show up, I'll be like, okay, yeah, they, apparently that just did never... I don't think she will. At this point, I'm thinking the same thing i don't think it ever happened you know like missed opportunity is it i like i mean she's fine but like i I don't mind doing away with that show overall well ryan's an agents of shield apologist (laughs) also i'm not to be quite honest with you i like i don't particularly like the mcu anyway so it's just like it's no it's no real skin off my nose i think that with everyone the mcu there's like parts of it that you like or you don't like, you know, like it's just it's too it's big like at this not point. Not liking the weather is yeah. <laughs> so big that like, how can we even talk about it? Like, guys, it's, yeah, I just, but I haven't gone to the theater to see one since Infinity War. I actually will. I'll probably go to a theater to see the Marvels because I got to support yeah. Monica Rambeau. Yeah, I got to support our girl. Yeah, uh, Monica Rambeau is Maddie's favorite character of like all time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, she's my favorite Avenger. Easy, I love hands her. Down. She's so good. The comics, anyway, yeah, so good. But anyway, so we'll, so Tilda Sons anyway, comes so, out on stage. All that aside. 
outside. Right. Yeah. So and she calls it a virus. And but though it doesn't, we, the plot doesn't matter because no, it not doesn't. that much actually no, happens. Mostly so, conversations. Mostly dialogue and character drama. The, the big thing is uh, while she's having this press conference, Order of the Break World stages an attack somewhere else so that the X Men will intervene and prove that their mutant powers are dangerous or something yes, or whatever. Correct. Yeah. It's kind of a really convoluted plan. That story isn't even fully told, honestly. Like that, I know it's, like, it's it's really confusing. No, it's not. Order of the Break World is a very footage not found kind of character. Like, there's a whole arc on Break World, even yeah. later in like, this. On Break World, people are like, I don't know her. And no, they like... all do, but I don't know any of them. I'm like, where am I? Who are these people? None of it is really contextualized or explained. Yeah, I know. They're not even tied to like the Shi'ar or the Dabari or one of the other X-Men aliens. We don't know who these characters are. And like, it, I know that they do that next piece, but like in this one story, in The Gifted, they like barely explain who the fuck he is. And they, they build him up to be like, he's like the champion of the break world. And now he's like come over to like Dr. Kavita Rao on Earth. And I'm like, why? Who is he? Eventually they're like, it's because they're they're worried that one day the Phoenix is going to come. I was like, what? That's what this yeah. is all about? They imply that they're worried about the Phoenix, but spoiler alert, it's actually Colossus that does him in. The prophecy is about Colossus. Yeah, but they it's don't like, know that. They think it's about the Phoenix. They think it's about a super-powered mutant, a la Jean Grey. No, and that's very, that's how prophecies work, right? Like, as you misinterpret them, yes, that's how, like, that's tragedy, That's right? literally what Destiny says. <laughs> yeah, sure. But they don't do enough to make the stakes of that matter. Yeah, like in order no, for yeah. us, the reader, to care, or the viewer, in the case of the motion comic, I mean, the motion comic is dealing with the, the plot points of the comic, obviously. It's just recreating them beat for beat. Yeah. But regardless, in order to get us to care about this world being destroyed, we need to know what that world is. We need to actually give a shit right. about we have any no of context, these people and it's not so like- that that twist matters later when it's revealed to us that, oh, a mutant is going to destroy this world. Right. Or like, it's the same, same problem in the Dark Phoenix movie where the freaking, what, the Dabari are? Yes. Like, and then we're supposed to care, like because yeah. that movie does it makes a critical uh-huh. mistake. It's actually is- very similar to the Dark Phoenix movie in that way because it's like a random alien race shows up yeah. and they're already pre-mad, <laughs> and it's like, wait, who are you? Well, so that's the real problem because in the actual comic, obviously, well, the Shi'ar show up, the Shi'ar show up, but they have reason to be mad. Yes, she just ate a star system, yeah. correct? And the star system that she ate was the Dabari star system, correct. and she genocided the six billion souls right. in that galaxy. Right, and that's all actually explained, though. <laughs> right, no, but what I'm saying is the movie, because it's lazy, yes. combines those species correct. into one species, so they're trying to punish her for something she might do, which doesn't really make <laughs> right. sense, right? Because Dark Phoenix is about how she actually did it. Yeah, I know. I know. But in this in this comic arc, it's actually a recreation of a mistake the Dark Phoenix movie is going to make 10 years later, which is <laughs> there's yes. a mutant who might destroy this world, this alien world that we have previously never heard of. Right. They will destroy it. We don't know which one. Yeah, it's like, I might get hit by a bus. Like, you know, like lots of things might happen. Yeah. It's like, so what, we need to destroy all buses? Like, puppet transit is evil now? Like, that's basically the equivalent of what was being said here. It's like, Ord coming there's down. There's nothing sympathetic no. or interesting about Order of the Break World. And it actually takes me, like, if you think about it, that is a problem that Whedon has kind of always like the reason Angel is a better show than Buffy in my opinion is that the Wolfram and Hart premise that he developed with David Greenwald and Tim Minear and all those guys who were like big Angel yeah. writers mm-hmm. 
those human villains are compelling and interesting. Yeah. yeah. Buffy falters when, I mean, Buffy tried it with the human villains with the, with the initiative, but that just like, they just didn't do a good job. Yeah. So that's, yeah, 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 that's yeah, on yeah, them. Yeah, but, yeah. and also that's just Weapon X. Do it good. You have the comic, but like whatever. <laughs> but so yeah. the uh, point is, there's like a thing in Buffy and Angel specifically where the vampires are soulless, right? Mm-hmm. And like demons have no souls. And so it's completely morally uncomplicated to kill them. Right. And also their goal is evil <laughs> <laughs> because they like it. <laughs> just black and white, super binary. It's just evil. Buffy vampires are chaotic, <laughs> evil entities. Yeah. They just are. And part of what's compelling about that is then like, you know, you start with the angel yeah. has his soul cursed back into him by the Romani clan mm-hmm. storyline, but that's like he has a soul, so he's different. But then you get the spike arc, which is the more interesting one, yes. where he has like a shock collar put in his head. And we start to see like, is he developing a conscience? Yep. What does and that that is when the show becomes yeah. more interesting because it's like, well, wait, if that's possible, then was then it immoral is it okay that we did that she all this just shit? patrols yeah. staking them every, if they can be turned to the side of good, right? But then in the last two seasons, which again are bad, they just gave Spike his soul back and <laughs> yeah, and it's fine. So, yeah, what what of it? It's fine. He just has a soul now. Don't worry about it. Well, now it's not complicated anymore, so we can fight literally the first evil and yeah. have a finale. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I don't know even how we got on that. <laughs> Order of the Break World. Order of the Break World yes. has no motivation that is interesting. Yeah. Correct. Like because to, to it feels like it's just enough that he's the bad guy. Yes. And I don't agree. I need like okay, your world was destroyed. I don't know anything about your world. I don't have any context for this. Also, it wasn't destroyed yet. It nothing's even happened to it yet. Yeah. It's like what? <laughs> it also really like. It really fucking aggravates me that... So, like, part of why I don't like this arc is that it brings Colossus back from the dead, which, much like Jean Grey, I think was a mistake. Mm. Yeah. Which is too bad, because I actually think this scene where Kitty finds him is one of the best I agree. parts I agree with that. the writing here. I'm not saying I think it has a good Except long that tail. Except I, I hate that they get back together. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but so, we don't see like, that to me, now. No, we so don't. But we it's set up. It's set it up. Is set I know. And it also, it's it's important because it's much like him load, like Whedon loading Kitty into that bullet. Whedon was reading the comics where Kitty was dating Piotr and Kitty was 14 and Piotr was 19 and Kitty wanted to get physical and Piotr was like, you're too young. And then they broke up because he was like, I'm too old for you. That's all. That's what plays out in the yeah. 80s. And I think that storyline's pretty good. I think it's interesting. I think it's nuanced. I don't think either of them is a bad guy no, in the situation. I, mean, like, I think it's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a classic. thing that happens in high schools all the time, but also especially in 1982, yeah, right. it's a thing that happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. So, but now they're like 20 and 25, I guess. Exactly. And Joss Whedon is like, I'm going to resurrect him so he can finally fuck her. That's what it feels like to me. Because that's what he does immediately. He makes her come so hard that she falls into the living room naked in front of all her oh students because Joss Whedon is a fucking that freak. That is like... <laughs> what? You don't remember that? <laughs> okay, I, I continued reading some of these comics after finishing the motion comic, but I didn't get that far. Okay, you need to keep reading because like that scene was like to. a fan fiction. I was it so was unhappy. so bad. <laughs> It was like, what are we reading? I did kind of like the danger room coming to life and trying to kill Xavier. I enjoyed that arc. We're not going to talk about it on this show. But Cerebro already did it in 1999. <laughs> yeah. I just like it when people try to kill Xavier Connor. Sorry, I just like that was it. loud. I, I apologize. Like 
to the listeners. Make sure you do the levels, please, because yes, I'm getting loud. I think that's okay. We tend to scream here. I sometimes forget to to hit normalize, and then people are like, "Wow, this really sounds crazy." I'm like, "Oh, sorry about that." Oh, I have to normalize. I have to normalize a lot on this show. Oh yeah. Except, you know, the politics. I'm actually being good right now. I'm letting I'm letting Connor take the floor, but usually I'm the one that's just screaming into the microphone. Like, fully my <laughs> mouth is over the microphone. And Maddie's like, We're all can you screaming. back it up a little bit? Well, I, I'm sort of, unsha- I'm like, I'm very, like, liberated and unchained and, like, free and, like, shaking my hair in the wind <laughs> yeah. because... I'm not the host. Well, because right. you don't have to edit this. I don't have to edit this. So I'm just kind of like, you know, I was like, it's very it's freeing. A, it's, it's a Sunday. Freeing. Yeah. We're I was just like, vibing. I'm going to have a mimosa. We're going to record a podcast. Yeah. It's good. Right. You know, we're having Perfect. a fun time. You're going to talk about one of the worst runs of the X-Men. Well, yeah. certainly. No, that's, that's, I will say that's overstating. There are some really okay. bad runs. What is your, le- what is your least favorite X-Men run? Now I have to know. Yeah. The Inhumans versus X-Men era stuff is really rough. Oh, again, that's just, not, it's not, the creator's fault. Oh my god, I agree. I continue. <laughs> it's clearly coming from higher up, but yep. that was when I fully like quit reading for a while. I think that's Ryan's off-sighted least favorite yeah. uh, comic. I mean, I know it's because of all the like, weird contractual shit happening, and I was just like, yeah. this is not even a good story, and it like demonized Emma, and I was right. like, what? Well, I was, I found it really misogynist, <sighs> yeah. yeah, and like, I am, I'm just like, Emma is one of my favorite characters. So mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm, just very mm-hmm. annoyed about the whole thing. I mean, it was like during a period of time where they're like, guess what? The most evil characters in the X-Men are sorry, in the Marvel universe are Emma Frost and Wanda Maximoff. I was like, are you fucking for real right now? Cause those are like my favorites. Like, and now you're going to like hide them in the shadows. Well, I mean, Wanda's tough. <laughs> Wanda's crazy and evil. Like every 10 yeah. years, you know what I mean? Like they've, hit, they've been hitting that one since the, since the seventies. So. She's, she's overdue. She's, she's a good guy again. So no, they, they gonna... no, I think they, I think they really emphatically want to keep her that way now because she's won an Emmy. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? But <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Wanda Maximoff in the world of Krakow won an Emmy and we're so proud of her. We love <laughs> I was gonna say my other least favorite period I would say is like the late 90s moment Uh, that's just really really rough before Morrison takes over oh oh, Oh, yeah okay yeah Yeah. I don't want to call out I don't want to call out specific creators Claremont Revolution is brief and I do in 2000 I find that really fun because it's just Chris being fully insane because they let him do whatever he wanted (laughs) but Everything else, like the twelve and all that, is yeah, just like really, okay. Fair really enough. tough. Uh, and I've had to reread a bunch of it for my show, and I have not enjoyed the experience. <laughs> I've survived the experience, but I've not enjoyed it. Um, I'm kind of gratified that you don't mention like the whole Hope Cable era, which I have a soft spot for, but which many people despise. Well, I I hate the decimation itself yeah. yes, and I, but i i think there are a lot of good stories told in that time and the portrayal of bishop during that time period is insane and bad that's yeah. what i was gonna say yeah. i i really like the cable and hopes of except we like bishop, bishop and i am fully redemption for bishop well he's he's fine now but like he's fine it now was, they I, finally fixed him but now. it was rough for a long it time was. and that was that was crazy. It was insane. <laughs> that was just crazy. Was insane. I, I really that didn't Bishop like that. Bishop was just running around screaming at people that he had to kill a baby. And like, it was really and weird. And trying to kill a white baby. Yeah. Like, chasing her through time. It was very it was weird. Real, it was weird. Real weird. It was just a weird thing to do. And I did it not was care like, for it. very out of character. I don't even know. But like, what was weird what was that the... they like made it so that it wasn't out of character. Anyway, so we're kind of loosely going through character by character. Do we have more thoughts on Kitty and Colossus in their yeah. arc on this before we move on? Right. No. So I guess what I was just going to say is I think it was a mistake to bring back Colossus because Colossus's death 
by the legacy, like to cure the legacy virus, yes. is one of the only comic book deaths that ever really had like an right. impact. Yeah, which they reference once they he's do. Back. Yeah, as soon as he comes back. Yeah. yeah, and bringing him back only like four years later because you want to bang your action figures together <laughs> is to me immature from a narrative perspective. Uh-huh. No, totally. And also, they don't really explain how they're like, oh, well, this. Yeah, he's just alive. This, this alien. <laughs> it's, well, it's almost like he never died in the first place, which is crazy. Well, I mean, like they talk about it. It's weird because he writes it as his kitty saying, I spread your ashes in Russia. And he's like, oh, thanks. And they don't. Explain. She did. I read the issue. Right. And then it's good. And then also. Greg yeah. Rucker wrote right. it. And then like yeah. also in that same freaking dialogue, this same scene, they're like, okay, well, how did you come back? And it just shows like Ord like popping out of like white light and like grabbing Colossus. And I was like, wait, <laughs> what? So wait. <laughs> What? <laughs> it's just, it's absurd. It undercuts the previous story enormously. It yeah. does. And it's just, it's bad. It also, what's bizarre is that, like, we see in this arc that Ord approached Kavita Rao right after Hank McCoy had cured the legacy virus yes. and was like, you almost had it, Dr. Yeah, yeah, you were so close. But this is annoying because this is a new character and the legacy virus plot dragged on for 10 years and I know every scientist who was working on that <laughs> shit. But and actually, I did not you didn't. See, Dr. Dr. Kavita Rao involved. I was going to call her Ms., but she has a doctorate. I don't want to be disrespectful <laughs> of this genocidal <laughs> lunatic. So, yeah. the um, the craziest thing about Kavita Rao, by the way, is that in, uh, in the decimation era, because they're so desperate for scientific expertise, like Kavita Rao just becomes their friend I and know. comes and lives with them. And I found that insane like at a certain <laughs> point dr rao is just like you're fine i like mutants now wait there was a comic that was like kavita rao dr nemesis and who was the other one that there were like the x club yes box kavita rao uh and dr nemesis and yurko takaguchi from the Isn't old she still good now i don't know what she's she doing is, now. yeah well she just is kind of not a, i don't think she's appeared in years because she's kind of a mess well it's <laughs> sort of like what they did with val cooper but that happens with val cooper over the course of like 15 years yeah. she goes from villain to ally Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't just sort of like do it off screen. Also, Greg Land was drawing a lot of that era of X-Men. And so she just sort of becomes like a Bollywood actress who's 25, Ugh. which yeah. is really funny also. Because it's also a, a, a beat in this that she doesn't like being on TV because she doesn't think she's hot and she's like 50. You know what I mean? <laughs> but anyway. But then Greg Land comes in and draws her like as a sexy porn star. With a perfectly circular bindi, <laughs> very <laughs> clearly traced yeah. from... A cover of a Doom with an H movie. Yeah. So to, to, to go back around, so the virus beat hits again because she then calls mutation a virus, which doesn't make sense to me because why was she trying to cure the legacy virus if she feels that way? The I legacy know. virus only targeted doesn't mutants make sense. until Moira McTaggart got it for being a dirty mutant lover. So I don't... Yeah. I mean, maybe that's when she started. She was like, well, shit, I better get on it. But <laughs> well, like, I, I, mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they sort of make it seem as though the motivation is the existence of Tildy Soames, who is this character whose mutation appears when she's like in the womb, basically. She can make nightmares real. Yeah. And she kills her parents. Well, and her nightmares become real. Yeah. But also like the way that the dream sequence that opens this arc begins mm. leads me to think like maybe her parents were bad news. I know. Do you yeah. get that vibe too? <laughs> I thought that also. Up, but it's weird. That does seem like the kind of thing that Joss would write. Well, again, he's about to write it in Runaways with like a sexual abuse yeah. story. He yeah. just moves. He moves this story from over to that story. That's yeah. pretty much what he did. But like, I had never, I had never thought about that when I read this comic. But hearing the like actress read the lines, yeah, yeah. which is like, and now daddy is next yeah. before she kills him. I'm like, 
is this Janie's got a gun? Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? it feels it feels like revenge arc for the abused child because or if it something. Is, then that changes the subtext enormously, right? It feels like a last house on the left or I spit on your grave kind of scene. And like, I get that it's a nightmare and we do things in dreams that we yeah, wouldn't really. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But they, we have nothing before that. Well, and we don't get anything else. So besides the graphic panel of their death. Yeah. And we don't know even the context of the nightmare. Like we just have a cold open of this child no. killing her parents with their superpowers. Being scared and killing her parents. Yeah. yeah. So I, but, but like w- loving killing her parents with their powers when she did yeah. it. Yeah. Like she was way thing. into it when she was killing them. And then afterwards was like, oh, Oh my god that was a horrible nightmare which like that's interesting oh my god but... dr rao i didn't mean to kill my parents so like if this was a good who comic... was filming it yeah who was filming <laughs> i'm sorry it? i'm who still filming it mr sinister i still want to know where that video came from mr sinister was filming it and he did win an emmy for it <laughs> i mean but yeah to be fair i'm i'm like so i was so i'm just like so over him that i would be like it's just a ripoff if he did this so maybe it's best that he didn't but in my view, what would make this a great story is if Kavita discovers in the end that Tildy Soames is a bad seat. Mm. And that oh, she yeah. like was a fucking sociopath who killed her parents because she like enjoys right. drowning puppies and so on. That's what I'm saying. And then and then Kavita, you know, she's like, thanks for making me a regular human. I can blend in better now and like stabs her in the throat right. or whatever. That and would leaves. be fascinating. That, that would be interesting. Story. I mean, like not to, that you know, rule. I do edit stories for a living. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I want that story now. Yeah, like that sounds amazing because it's more about how being a bad person doesn't have anything to do with your mutant or not. <laughs> which is kind of yeah. what this is trying to do, but doesn't succeed. And it's about how people weaponize what about the children yes. to demonize minorities Absolutely. so they see as corrupting Absolutely. their children, which is explicitly called out here. Emma says to Kavita, what's next, the gay gene? Yes. And Kavita goes, gay people aren't a threat. And I'm like, okay, this is now ridiculous. Well, because Emma even responds to be like, I guess you haven't heard any fundamentalist yeah, bigots no. on the radio lately. <laughs> like She does right. have exactly. a response to that. She does, but to me it's specious because Kavita wouldn't say that. I know that, like she's too smart the character doesn't make sense I because know. she needs she, she either needs a coherent worldview well this or, is you're talking you're talking about like the final two scenes of this this particular but I episode mean, we right? may as well Which, get to them because, well I think we're jumping around yeah, we yeah. No, no, but I, mean, I, I, I know that but we're going I, chronologically I, no 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 I know that I I know that <laughs> but I'm point. saying that like they suddenly try and like jam all this like information about like Dr. Rao's motives in like the last, I don't know, like six pages before all chaos breaks out. Yeah. And it's just like a thousand mutants like bursting through the wall like the Kool-Aid man. And I'm like, what? Like suddenly every, every like non-human looking mutant is like clamoring for the cure and they break down into this lab suddenly. Like that's how the story ends, which I also think is bizarre. And, and like also all, yeah, like all shield is there and they're like also by the way this is agent brand we're going to introduce her now and i was like this is all happening in the final chapter yeah super fast it's agent brand it's so confusing i do think agent brand is the strongest part of this run and there's a reason that character really stuck around well not in this not in this opener i wouldn't say no i mean she doesn't do shit i agree that later she goes no no no, but i just mean like i i I don't even mean she's like a strong female character i just mean she's like an interesting character (laughs) and it's specifically like she's very much in the Nick Fury mold of like intelligence agencies are bad. They're bad news. Right. And I like that she fills the role that Valerie Cooper used to fill, but then had become an ally. So I think it's very X-Men to have a female bureaucrat 
who's willing to make the tough decisions and like doesn't care if people die or whatever. Sure, you know. Yeah. I mean, she's that's fine. I don't like her introduction here, though. It's very sloppy. I watched it twice because I was so confused. Well, she also Val Cooper is a blonde lady in a suit with some pearls on. Abigail Brand is very much a like, you know, hot topic sex lady in the same way that a lot of Whedon characters are. Yeah, yeah she's like an alien looking, sexy, right. black leather wearing. Well, she's not even alien looking. She's just a hot chick who is an alien, which is why she has green hair. <laughs> yeah. Um, Natural green hair. Also, insane to have a woman with green hair in an X-Men comic book. We've never seen any of those. We've never had one. But that's a huge problem that has persisted ever since is that people get confused about whether they're looking at Polaris or Abigail Brandt mm-hmm. because that's the signifier. Or, or Madame Hydra. Madame Hydra has a darker green though. It's sure, like, but if it's, Viper, if it's like, it's almost black. I th- if like, she's sometimes around freaking like Logan or whatever, they well, sometimes, but that's the real, they even, Logan even calls Abigail Brandt like Hydra hair and it's yes. like, okay, if you know that, why are you doing it? Because <laughs> this is a confusing, like, she wears a cat suit like Viper, has yeah. green hair like Viper, but the green hair is the color of Polaris's hair. But she, she wears sunglasses. It's so different, guys. She's wearing little, <laughs> little cool alien goggles. On Krakoa, Polaris wears sunglasses. That's it's true. Like she's getting Ugh. her revenge. That's true. It's almost like giving every woman the same Barbie doll body type was a bad idea. That is that it? I don't know. Well, and that's been that's been <laughs> helped to some extent <laughs> in know, recent I years. Know. But like, um, but they're all but, but it's, You're very, they're you're, all you're super not. Oh no, you're super not wrong. But I think Kavita Rao is actually. This is why I commented on the Greg Land Kavita Rao because she's actually an interestingly non that character for a superhero comic but again that's part of her being this desexualized person of color who's evil (laughs) yeah so yeah but anyway so with abigail brand i just i I think it's they gave her like a bitchy little bob haircut in krakoa so you can tell now that it's her i'm like thank god someone finally cut her hair like she has like almost (laughs) like a pixie that's so easy now like we get it polaris would never cut her hair like that so it's Mm -hmm. fine but we barely meet her in this in this arc like she's like kind of hanging with nick yeah no and she but i like that she's just like an evil war criminal and i think that's fun yeah it works it it kind of helps balance out the fact that nick fury is just a huge dick in this issue for kind of i I was really confused by this iter- this portrayal of him. You know what really annoyed me was when he said this is an America that wasn't American soil about Genosha. Shield is an international organization. Yeah. I was like, by the United Nations. Okay, so Joss like Joss just didn't, literally didn't know that. He just <laughs> didn't like, know that. He's like, I listen, think. I'm just not going to read no one any Marvel him. comics that came out in the past 20 years. I remember like reading America them. is the chair of Shield, <laughs> but like. It's backed by the whole UN Security Council. Also, he's like, I'm not going to get involved. And also, we don't trust you, you mutants. I'm like, Nick Fury's always been... Working with mutants, like, regularly. Yeah, I was like... Wh- who- he and Wolverine were in World War II together. Like, the, he's... Yeah, yeah that was like know? a whole other piece. I was like, Joss wrote this scene that was like Cyclops going to Nick Fury. I'm like, why wasn't that Logan? Well, it's written like he's going to Gyrick. Again, it, it reads like... Yeah. It, it reads like he's talking to Henry Peter Gyrick or one of those characters... But he's not. not. And again, I like the vibe that like shield and sword are evil that you get in this comic. Yeah, which but it that, does the, feel... the systems are evil. The people are idiotically trying to do good. The systems sure. are evil, but it's a weird way to write. Nick Nick Fury is an amoral guy, but I don't. I I just I didn't quite vibe with that either. But the, the that's not American soil thing was just like 
my that was God. just like factually. Look at Wikipedia. <laughs> We've got Wikipedia by now. It's 2004. Mm-hmm, like, Google mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. My God. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that questionable stuff. And this, at least in his run. And I, I, I was writing a lot of that down while we were going through it because I was like, what? I don't understand why these characters are acting this way. And not to say that you can't write an interesting story around it because I think you can. I think you can take these concepts and make any of this interesting I think if you, you can like. too. Well, and they're fictional. Like, you can yeah. make yeah, a character you do, you're change it in personality however <laughs> yeah. you want. You can do whatever well, you think, want. I think continuity. Continuity, I say this on my show sometimes. It's a phrase I, I borrowed from my friend Teeny Howard, but continuity is an argument. Yeah. And she, it's something she talked about a lot with Jonathan Hickman, who was one of her, like, you know, mentors when right. she was entering the Marvel sphere. And he was really helpful on that score because he was like, there's 80 years of comics. You can't... You can't remember it all. Yeah. Possibly. Or even know like, it yeah, Well, also, you can't... Po- there, it's impossible to write an issue that is in continuity with every other issue. It's just not possible. Yeah. So you have to know what you're trying to say. My issue is just, like, that's just wrong in a way that, like, undercuts the whole scene. You know? Yeah, like, I'm like, that's it's like, not, well, that's just that's, factually Because like, there could be a good excuse. You could say, like, we weren't going to invade, like, the mutant sovereign nation cycle. Or what, you, like, there's lots of things you could have said. Yeah, just, like, have him say something else that's accurate there. Yeah, it's just, like, it's not an American organization. Yeah, exactly. It's not the CIA. Um, so... Kind of moving along. Yeah, because that's just a mistake and who cares? (laughs) Uh, So one of the things I think does work pretty well, I think, is Beast's arc overall. I like it. And I think that in the modern era... Yeah, this is that's the good part. Yeah. Yeah. In the modern era, people are, like, very baffled by Beast kind of going full full mad scientist mode. Full evil. And I'm like, read a comic book from the last 30 years. I know. I mean, his self-hatred has always been there. Since the 60s. Yeah. And it's still there in this comic. And that makes sense for him and I liked it and I even liked the, the fight scene with him and Logan I thought was pitch perfect for both of them and kind of gay yeah and kind of gay <laughs> love that for them I have absolutely no uh, objection to any I think him going to Kavita without telling them is also very I nice. loved that I thought that was a really fun scene I too. actually really enjoyed that he pops in there and that. like he does all sneaks, sneaks in things he's like hanging from the ceiling and sneaks he's like, up and then he's like hello and then Kavita Rogers looks up she goes oh hey beast and I was like oh <laughs> well she calls him Dr. McCoy but yes no, because Oh, they, because they're friends. This yeah. is what I'm. So this is the thing. What I find most like this is the most Hank thing is that Hank, who is a very visible, famous public mutant, yes, is apparently friendly colleagues with this woman. Well, right. That's fascinating for him, and I like it. But that's him. what I'm saying. Yeah, because well, because that's like he wasn't asking, "Are you working on a mutant cure?" Because yeah. it didn't occur to him. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like that, I think is an, inter- an interesting indictment of Hank. So yes. I think that this, the, when I say that Gifted is the one good, I'm thinking of like literally two things, which is the Emma opening of session speech with like, they will always hate us and the illusory sentinels and all that, I think yeah. is genius. It's yeah. fun. It's it's very high drama, like theater queen bitch. Like she's, she's <laughs> yeah. but that's her. But that is very for, like, You know, when she was evil, she did a whole Lear monologue at one yeah. point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, I remember that. Like, I, so I think that like that scene works, although it's bookended by Kitty Pride just like being like, wow, what a whore about Emma, which yeah, is really cool. Which is annoying. Where, Emma, where Kitty's like, put on a shirt, like in the background. I'm like, you're the one who's late. <laughs> I know. You showed up late to your job. Because she was too busy walking to the X-Match and being like, it's exactly the way I remembered it, even though it blew up three times. And I'm glad that they rebuilt it. And I was like. And like looking what? at all the pictures and being like, oh my God. Also, we see her leaving and I'm like this is another one where I, that it pings me I was like Joss Whedon 
has not read any X-Men comics after he was like 14 because that's not You're what right. happened. Yeah. Like she's flashing back to something that did not happen. Xavier was in space with the Shi'ar. Kitty was critically injured in the mutant massacre. So she wasn't with the X-Men when they died in Dallas in Fall of the Mutants. Yeah. She was on that's Muir Island convalescing at Moira's lab. And then, oh, it's one of the best. And then she and Kurt, who was also grievously injured in the massacre, formed Excalibur because they thought the X-Men were dead. Yeah. She never left the mansion and was like, Professor, I'm moving it. Like, that's not a scene that ever happened. Like, she was just like, wait, like, she thought they were they dead. They thought that dead. they were dead. Yeah, but, but, like, but what I'm really saying long is just time. like, this scene of like, I've graduated, Professor, like, that's not a scene from any comic book. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, when Joss was writing this, it was like right after Extreme X-Men where she was there, right? Like, she was like off with the Extreme X-Men yes, at this time. I guess. Oh, you know what? Okay, to be fair, part of it is... So it's how the sequence is done because Cassidy does these flashback things and they're very good. One of them is Professor Xavier is a jerk, which is from that 80s period. And then I liked that to me. The other flashback also looked like it was supposed to be from the 80s period. I suppose she still has her little mullet there. Right. That's why I was thinking is like she has her 80s hair, Mm -hmm. but maybe that scene is supposed to depict her leaving for grad school between the 12 and extreme x-men mechanics yeah in which case okay fine but if she doesn't look like she did in that era so i didn't think it was okay but you know what i don't think he thought about it that much so like i really well i I would have to go back it's possible because of all the callbacks to emma and kitty's first appearance that that scene if it's like professor xavier jerk an actual recreation i'm trying to picture but like i'd have to look at the issue there's an issue in the 80s where emma mind controls kitty's parents into transferring her to the massachusetts academy and it's possible maybe that's from that but i'd have to go look I don't think so. Anyway. I don't think that's, that's I don't think happened. so, though. I think, I, think I right. would remember that scene. Right. More importantly, why is Kitty late? It's not explained. It's just stupid. I don't know why she's late. Very rude. Your first date. And she's supposed to be like the good one. Yeah, she's supposed to be like the good, competent one, yet she got there late and doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> right? I mean, the that's idea is that she's point, in over though, her like... head because <laughs> it's that she's so young. <sighs> She's I know. So she's young. so young that all the kids have a crush she's on her. She's so young. She's a hot young teacher. All but the senior boys think she might let them hit it. That's Armour's like first line because Armour's jealous. Having Armour say that upsetting. By the way, Armour's power is to create anime armor mm-hmm. and it gets stronger when one of her relatives dies because it's powered by her the spirits of her ancestors. Okay, so she is a Street Fighter character, is what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's fine. I love Street Fighter. I would argue <laughs> that Street Fighter is less racist than that. I international don't know. representation. <laughs> Street Fighter's it, got a uh, lot well, going uh, on. Overall, <laughs> overall, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. overall. Yeah. The thing about Street Fighter that's interesting, I guess, is that because it's Japanese, because it's and then because it's supposed to represent every country, quote unquote, it ends up being. It's also racist against white cultures, I which I find really fascinating. It's hilarious. Like, yes. Every character is a <laughs> national stereotype in a way like in exactly the same way know. you know so wait when you point that out about armor's like power it's like okay so is that her mutant powers or some other magic power like you know it's not very isn't clear. that fucking stupid great question yeah right like, it's come up over the years again they don't mention it now because i think a lot of asian readers were like what the fuck does like what's that about that's weird. i mean i feel like that's why it's not in the anime adaptation with armor because the japanese people who worked on that anime were like because that was for the asian market yeah and they'd be like what right? <laughs> <laughs> but 
there's something very strange about it. Uh, it. Basically, it's not impossible for a mutant power to impact magical forces. Ilyana's magic, uh, Ilyana's mutant power is to control the stepping discs of Limbo, which are magical objects. So right. it's not completely out of the question. They can have both. It's it's you know like it is a thing that can happen. It's more just like why does the Japanese mutant have to also have yeah a mystical shintoist power they did that a lot with like forge back in the day yeah too. i was gonna say like well, forge it's like danny, danny moonstar, moonstar. Yeah. like they, they sort of have these mystical elements with forge at least it's that like that's what forge's character is about right it's yeah. like he is the shaman of his tribe by birth but wants to be this man of technology and science yeah, like that's yeah. at least his character tension with danny like she can talk to animals just because she can i mean and they make yeah. it a mutant power but it's like why does she have two because at the time you usually didn't you know what i mean yeah, yeah. and right. they're not super related yeah. but you know it's yes it's very that but yeah armor is essentially portrayed as an anime character but she's also like a little spicy and a little mad at wing all the time because she's also a joss whedon female character so she's gonna be yeah like a little mad because she's not the sexy girl she's the nerdy girl so she's gonna be like oh i just think 20 years after danny moonstar it's a little crazy to go that yeah. racially. Oh, absolutely. It's insane. Character. I agree. In a mystical but I also, way. I do remember this is like, what, 2005? 2004. So, I mean, like, it's not. Yeah, oof. no, I mean, listen, <laughs> it, it, look, <laughs> we, uh, again, they thought it was okay to have a white woman do an Apu voice to be Dr. Kavita <laughs> Rao in this officially licensed Marvel Comics I know. video. So like, you know, it was a different time. And like, People thought that was fine. The culture thought it was fine. Yeah. The broader power culture and power anyway. Right. There's a line in here that is like that, right? Because there's a line in here where uh, that kid is talking to Kitty Pride and what? calls he asks her Kitty oh. Pride if you're a fucking R word. Yeah, he calls her the R word. It's wild to me that the motion comic blips out the F word, but not the R word, which is now commonly blipped it's out. It's not and wild like, though. It's, well, not, it's, not, wild, it's though. not wild of the time period at all. In 2005, though, you could say the R word on network television. You yes, could. You could. Totally, it was like, and people did all the time they did it in the gen x movie too yes they did they did it okay have you seen the gen x movie like it's around the same time period of course honey listen Fanola hughes we love her okay yeah we want her iconic best best ever interpretation of that character by a live action 100 but they did it in that movie too where i was like damn i i can't believe they're getting away with this on tv but it wasn't getting away with it was just completely normal one thing i will say while we're on the voice acting subject i do really appreciate that this motion comic does not as many people incorrectly do and as i think joss whedon incorrectly does when writing the dialogue give emma frost a literal british accent she has a mid-atlantic accent oh but i like that she pretends to have one i like that for but she her. doesn't that's not how that's not what it is morrison she's affected because she naturally would have a boston brahmin accent which is not classy yeah. so she speaks with like a mid-atlantic old hollywood accent and a taxi driver is like what what's that accent you british and she just goes mm, and doesn't answer the question yeah but she's not faking a it's like i have kind of a mid-atlantic drunk gay Catherine hepburn quality at times to my voice <laughs> uh, so people like, thought I've, i was british and i'm very not you know what i mean like it's just it's addiction thing yeah. it's very like new englandy and she is from new england right so i uh, you know I, yeah, we uh, feel her we feel her we're me, from boston uh, the best so. <laughs> is in uh carrie walgren in the wolverine and the x-men show does the best emma voice that i've heard but 100 like, yeah i agree yeah, it's, it's again it's like you want 
her to sound like she's in she's faking it. But I can appreciate Finola Hughes. Well, Finola Hughes. It was, that was before they. That was before Morrison even established it. So that was just like they just cast a British actress. And yeah, like, who cares? it just happened to work again, out, right? Not, that movie. That movie was not enormously. Uh, yeah, popular so, or good, you know, but it's amazing. Yeah. Well, uh, Jubilee's white in it. I like know. they weren't paying that much attention. No, no, Which is you know no absolutely I think about that sometimes because Jubilee was like a very unambiguously not white character yeah, they talked about it you didn't all the time she's comics. the Chinese girl with firework powers it's another kind of one of those you yeah, know what I mean yeah, yeah. well yeah. but they clearly read enough yeah. of the comics to like know who these really obscure characters were uh, to the general public Gen X was a decently popular book but... I love how we're covering like every X-Men movie the Generation X movie we're doing yeah. the full Buffy run this is not what? my fault we're doing I'm not every... I'm not I, it's not my I'm fault I'm blaming Ryan we're just having for fun. it um, why, but... wait, wait, why I am I getting just fault, like but I wasn't gonna be well because you're the one who keeps Ask, you keep asking me ask questions. questions. Okay, and then well, I, that's fair. I, okay, and then I and then I, I am the king of derailing this show. So we didn't bring Connor on for an interview about himself, which we could have done. We instead tried to bring Connor on to talk about the Gifted Motion comic, which we've done a little bit of. We've talked about it a little bit. I think we've talked plenty about the I Gifted. Agree. I mean, we've talked a what lot about there it. To say? We've um, covered most of what there is to cover. The only other thing, the only other thing I want to say before we wrap up, because I truly can't be here all day, y'all. We can't. Is Aww. I want to talk about Scott and Logan's. Well, you two can keep talking if you want. I'm not going to edit it. <laughs> no, okay, I, I'm hungry. I have honestly. other things I have to do. Um, I wanted to just say Scott and Logan's relationship, kind of weird, but kind of gay. And I don't hate yeah. that for them. But I thought it was always, real yeah. weird that Logan walks right the fuck into Scott's bedroom at the opening. <laughs> well, Emma and, is and naked. sasses him and for sasses being in bed him. with Emma. Yeah, Nobody's wearing clothes. No one's wearing clothes. Logan, and I was and like, Logan just Whoa. walks in and he's like, hey. I thought we were hooking up tonight and now I'm upset with you. And it's like, what is going on right now? Like, what is this scene? That is like his whole energy in this. I don't think Joss Whedon intended it at all because he's the straightest man to ever live. Well, you know, any any male homoeroticism in Joss Whedon's work is unintended. It's got it's gotta be because when Joss Whedon does write a gay character, like that's like a man, especially they're usually like all I can think about is I forget their names from Buffy that were like running around the background or Andrew clearly, yes. Andrew from Buffy that he was also like God bless Tom Lank but and my was god like oh my god like yeah. this is what Joss Whedon does is he'll take but like also a- like he just made sure when he had Spike and Angel in the same room again for Angel season five to do a bit about like like how they fucked once but once only once yeah. and that's like he thinks he's being progressive mm-hmm. but I'm like but just what? no every the <laughs> fandom had just assumed that those four characters had been fucking each other for like a hundred years yeah. as evil vampires. Yeah. And now you're specifying that they only did once and that's actually negating worse. everyone's fanfic. <laughs> actually, that's like not, that's like weird. That's much less gay than we thought it was. Yeah. But yeah, thank yeah, you, yeah, 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 I guess. Yeah. But I feel like it's hard to not have the Logan Scott dynamic be homoerotic because when Gene isn't there, it always, it, it always, always is. is. And so that happens here too. It is even when Gene is there. Well, it's just course. Eve Sedgwick homosocial triangle stuff. Yeah. There, but it always is. I mean, that's again in this era. I mean, they are currently on the rocks, but the three of them were in a were heavily implied to be in a thruple on Krakoa. Yeah, yeah, and it has been fascinating. I know. And honestly, it's the only conclusion that makes sense. Because I know. Even when Gene is dead. They're they still kind stop. of in a throuple yeah. together. And they're still kind of like having sex with each other or, or There's a whole whatever. annual X-Men event called Schism that is just about their divorce. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm sure you've seen that fan art that was like it looked like it was a comic where they were leaving bed and that's Scott's like it's not going to work out. There's just a schism between us or yeah, something. Yeah, I know it's so funny. Yeah, I, yeah. I just yeah. I enjoyed that portrayal of Logan, although I think it's fully by accident. The other thing I wanted to kind of shout out on sort of the queer subtext lens. We already talked about Beast quite a bit, but I did like the accidental queer subtext of Beast and Logan talking about the idea of having like 2.5 kids and a, and a wife and a dog oh, and a yeah. white picket fence. And like the idea of not being a mutant being something that would inherently lead to a heteronormative, romanticized lifestyle. And Logan doesn't want it. Yeah. Logan rejects it, you know? But particularly right after Hank in the Morrison run had as a prank on his ex come out to her as gay <laughs> and she as <laughs> a yellow journalism <laughs> reporter so funny well there are different ways of reading it i know people i know people who interpret it as like he was trying to actually yes, come out yes, and then yes. he's like never mind i'm joking yep. which would also track with hank but the way morrison wrote it uh, which i which i love i love this storyline yeah for sure um basically trish is like i can't date you anymore because you've devolved into a cat guy it's like feels like bestiality and he's like well that's fine i think i'm gay <laughs> and she is a reporter, so she leaks it to the media. Right. And he decides to just lean in and yeah. like become a gay icon because he thinks he can be a role model. Right. And <laughs> like, this is so annoying. <laughs> Scott is like, Scott is like, but Hank, like, you're not gay. And he's like, sure, but I might as well be. And if I can inspire one of these kids not to hurt themselves or whatever, then who cares? And it's such a bizarre, cynical idea, but it's very in character. It is. It's, and very it's also very current to that sociopolitical moment. I know. But yeah. like, I, yeah. I think that it then tracks, because I think that Whedon fumbles a lot of the balls that the Morrison run handed him. But this one, I think, is carried through. I agree. Hank just wanting to be a normal, straight white guy in the suburbs. Yep tracks with everything Morrison was doing with that character. And Logan mocking him by by spelling that out literally and being like, look, also tracks. I could yeah. have I could have had that too, but I realize I can't because I am out of the closet and I've yeah. accepted who I am. And Hank, you need to accept who you are. And Hank is basically just like, I'm never gonna do that. No. Again, I mean still, even like, like in ever. current comics. But, but you know what's really fumbled though? You look at that scene with Scott and Emma and yeah, I know. in the bedroom. It's like, tough. Wolverine and Emma have a friendship in Morrison that is in some part predicated on the fact yeah. that they are each in love with one of the perfect couple that will never break up. And by the way, Scott and Jean are cheating on each other. I know. <laughs> People forget this because Jean died. Scott is the one who has the serious affair, but Jean kisses Logan first. Yeah. Also, she has a deep emotional affair with Logan, basically, from meeting him. All the time, like, right? Yeah. Even if it's not physical, like, they're in a romance. Like, always have been, always will be. But the idea that, like, Wolverine's like you're disrespecting your marriage. Yeah. I mean, you were trying to break them up. It's I know. Very, it's it's, so I guess funny. it's like you. <laughs> I guess it's like you had her, and now you're not even like mourning her. Is I guess what's supposed to be conveyed. This but, happens a lot in the comic books too, because I feel like there's a lot of times where people write Logan as Emma as like people that understand each other, and then other writers who come in later and like, oh no, they hate each other. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't think they hate each other, and they shouldn't. They, they they're shouldn't. supposed to be friends. One of my favorite. Emma and 
Logan moments, one of my favorite moments for both characters actually is in House of M, uh, which I don't like overall, but they're, when they're all debating what to do about the Scarlet Witch going crazy, um, <laughs> Emma says, what is the, it's like, she says, what is there to discuss? Put her down. Yes. And Captain America says, like a dog? And she says, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and everyone's like, what the fuck, lady? And Logan, who is at this moment an Avenger, yes. raises his hand and says, Gotta say, I'm with Emma. Yeah, I mean, that's a classic <laughs> Logan solution to just be like, I don't know, can we kill them? Like, I, yeah, I right? don't know, guys. I don't have any other ideas here. But also, it's, a, it's the pragmatic solution. She's she's completely insane. She has the powers of a god. She's threatening all reality. Like, it's not like they're just, you know, being cavalier about it. But it's, right. like, it's like, is is this an option? Like, what should we do here? Yeah. Sometimes a world-destroying entity has to be killed even if they're your friend. And the X-Men know that better than anybody, right? It's so, like, true. there's this complicated thing going on there. Emma's like, I made Dark Phoenix. It was an accident. But, like, I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is she doesn't say that in the comics. And she, and Logan, she and Logan both uh, have the backstory of being like semi like influenced and manipulated by other organizations and then having to get over all the people they killed absolutely. and just being like, well, that fucking sucked. Right. Like it's it's a bonding moment, you know? Well, what I like about them is that Emma doesn't feel bad about it, which I think is what he, re- but I think that's what he respects in her. You know what I mean? I think she feels bad about it with regard to like Kate Pride these days. Like, you know, she's had her apologies. Or Firestar, sure. Yes. But you get what I mean is like, but she doesn't regret doing whatever she needed to do to survive. Absolutely at all, not. I don't think. No, I mean, I think that's always been the interesting part about Emma is that she's willing to make the wrong call to make the right thing happen. Yeah. I like how unapologetic she is. Yes. And I like that in this era, when she was in this position of great power, she had sort of a crisis in herself and was like, I do have to make amends with Kate. I do have to make amends with Firestar. Mm-hmm. I do have to make amends with Lourdes Chantel. Yeah. Like all of that, yeah. Yeah. I have liked a lot. But, yeah, same. same. But you'll notice also that's, her feeling that she has wronged other women, which is right. a very specific mm-hmm. thing. Like she also has gotten closer with Jean in the years since Jean. They're yeah. frenemies, but yeah. Well, right, but it's like <laughs> when Jean got all of the teen Jean time travel teens memories, Emma and teen Jean had kind of gotten along in some ways. Yeah. So yeah. it was, you know, it, it. I think that helped. All that to say, uh, I don't even remember what we're talking about. What yeah, do we, we have about? any other thoughts on, on I mean, I kind of raised all mine. I think we're kind of done with the gifted. Do you have anything yeah. else you want to ask, Ryan? I- <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, what's your favorite color? Your favorite food? <laughs> <laughs> Purple. We just had so much fun, Chinese. okay? We oh, just Chinese wanted to good. talk to you. This is um, good. I could I could go on and on. I did, I did want to bring up one last point from the gifted that was, because we were just talking about logan and emma yeah and their relationship but in the grant morrison run emma and hank have a very specific relationship that i love that is just gone in this yeah no he's the one who pieces her back together when she gets shattered yes. he's which is the one... such an intimate like commitment well also gene put her back together because gene yeah. said my husband needs you I again know. Like, it feels like, like did you read the fucking comic <laughs> he did not he did not or he read it and thought it was stupid and wrong what you said earlier about like it's impossible to read like all 60 years of comics and be straight yeah yeah, I understand but this was like within the year that he's writing this (laughs) I would believe he read the first arc with Cassandra Nova yeah because that's really the only Morrison stuff that's referenced oh right because he he brings her back yeah but he also fucks up the the storyline that happens in the rest of New X-Men which is that she actually was transformed into Ernst the little girl with progeria she's a student at the school and he just didn't 
get it for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) But like, you know, whatever. Whatever, it's fine. I mean, it's like not getting something in a Grant Morrison comic is not the end of the world, but like if you're going to write the comic, you might want to... Or especially if you're going to refer specifically to that character and have it be key to Emma's storyline. Or like ask him, be like, hey, is there anything I need to know? Call them up and ask, yeah. They do that all the time. Like right now with um, who took over uh, Karen... Karen Gillett, he took yeah. over Hickman's stuff, but yeah. he's like, they had a conversation first. It wasn't like he just like of walked course in. He wasn't just fucking winging it. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Anyway, so Connor, do you have anything you want to share? I, let's 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 tell everybody where to find Cerebro or Cerebrocast, whatever you want to call it. Tell them where to follow you on the many social media. It's a great podcast. Thank you so much. I love it. I love hearing you. I love the deep dives over there. They're so much fun. Well, so my podcast is long. I always make people run long so you are, have a good average because usually like <laughs> every show I guess and I feel bad. I knew it would they be They always hours. run a half an hour longer than they usually do. The first thing you said, you were like, okay, this, I'm like super ADHD. I'm like, yeah, but so are we. So like it takes us about the same amount of time. I know. I was like, this is going to be fucking nightmare mode, but it's okay. We did it. We got through it. We ran a, we ran a gamut with this one, man. Um, so you can follow the mutant ages on every social media. Um, we're at patreon.com slash the mutant ages. You can find bonus content there. Ryan, you want to look up our highest your Patreon su- supporters real quick? Yeah, sure. Ryan and I are individually on social media. Oh, let me actually, let me do my plug real quick. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry because I ahead. forgot and go I ahead. talked over do you it. while you were saying do it. it. So uh, you could follow me on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith, on Twitter at Dream of Organon, O-R-G-O-N-O-N. Connor Goldsmith was taken, which is my great bane. It hasn't been used since like 2010. What the hell? Such is life. And you can find Cerebro at Cerebrocast on both those platforms. You can find, uh, and on TikTok and on YouTube, you can find all of the episodes and links to the merch store, the Discord server, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, at Cerebrocast.com. And I hope you enjoy. The, the, the fourth season kicked off recently uh, with an Apocalypse episode featuring Jonathan Hickman, which was an incredible privilege. Love it. Amazing. I can't remember. Did you do Fred Dukes already? I don't remember. We love I him. I have not, but I'm going to get to everyone in time. Don't you worry. Okay. There, He's he's one of the bigger ones I haven't covered yet. There's like a couple. We, like we Bishop love Fred. Is the biggest, we love so. him and he's been mistreated so many times, but whatever. It's fine. We don't need to get into that. Bishop, <laughs> I keep kind of pushing off just because his continuity is so Insane. complicated and like the cable episode almost put me in a coma we had, we had so, to like research it at one point for this show and i was like oh my wild, god um, but that that one's coming this year for sure and then you know, i'll have covered most of the really big guns uh in literally in bishop's case he loves bang bang so yeah so that's uh, that's where to find me you can find more about my day job stuff i'm a literary agent by day at connorgoldsmith.com i represent great authors you should check them out Cool. And that's it. All right. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just was like, I should probably do it. No, you're all good. Um, Rye, you want to shout out our highest tier Patreon supporters? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Shout out to Samuel B and Soren B for being our top tier Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for tuning in and uh, for supporting the show. And, and thank to you to all the rest the who support the show as well. Um, so thank you so much for coming on, Connor. This was a blast. We're all going to yeah, go have, have some so lunch now or some early dinner, whatever. Um, yeah. We loved having you. Love your show. Love that you can kind of pick and choose what episodes you want to do based on what your interests are. And we would love to have you thank back. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. I would love to come well, back. We, we absolutely would love to have Maybe you it'll back. be slightly less chaotic because we'll like ask you for questions or maybe we'll ask you more. IDK. I don't know. This was 
is good. This is a conversation. Well, you also asked me to revisit. <laughs> you asked me to revisit something that like I have just so many feelings about that. I, okay, but see, I feel like this was the right group to do this particular. It was story. No, it was. It was, it was also like I knew this was this was what broke through my ADHD fugue was like. Because we had arranged we had like, a few three or four ideas. other things yeah. that I might come on to do. Yeah. But none of them, I was like, sure, that would be fun. But there wasn't, like, this made me sit up. I was like, I must. <laughs> there are things that I need to say. You know, like, yeah. I was like, oh, oh, okay, hold on, Connor. You do have to send this email today. You know? <laughs> so that was very <laughs> Shout out to the motion comic and to Vivance for that. Yes. Hell yeah. Love that. Thank you, Vivance. Um, bless. Uh, so... Thanks also to the listeners. If you can't afford to support the show, please subscribe, listen, share it with your friends, like the tweets, whatever the fuck you're into. Thanks so much for your support, everybody. <laughs> I was going to say, Follow like, which Connor social media? We're everywhere. And I, I can't even talk about the social media platforms no, anymore. No, I can't anymore. I'm I like can't making talk a about Blue Sky anymore. account again. Now. I can't oh, this is crazy. We're not going to talk about this right now. We're not going to talk about how them. social media is losing We're its We're not going to talk about them. <laughs> That is it. We will see you next time. I have no comment. <laughs> <laughs> the